Hello and welcome to episode 171 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode Holiday Break since it's happening in the downtime between two very important, but also not at all important, Nintendo holidays. There's Pokemon Day back on February 27th. We got Mario Day coming up on March 10th. March. March 10th. He's not Mayo, although, or Mayo. He's not Mayonnaise. (laughs) Can you imagine if the franchise was just a guy, just a jar of mayonnaise, bonking on turtles? Good, because that's not what it is. Anyway, um, so those are those are kind of sandwiching our episode around. Now, does that have any bearing on this episode, on us sharing impressions later in the show of Skyforce Remastered or Zeo Drifter for Switch or Part-Time UFO, which is Hal's first game on mobile? No, it does not. Does it relate to us celebrating Switch's first anniversary by highlighting some trends you noticed with the system? No. And I'm going to do the whole rhetorical question thing because it also does not at all relate to the fact that we're going to be highlighting some lesser-known upcoming Nindies and eShop games later in the show as well. All those things have nothing to do with the holidays. And by the way, if um, you want to know any of those specific things and where they are in the episode, there are timestamps at com. Otherwise, you can just sit back and relax. But none of them have to do with the title. The reason we have the title is because I have one question for you, Angel, and that question is, what did you do for Pokemon Day? Well... I think that's the day that the Pokemon Company decided to put the Talk to Pikachu applet. It on, was, and it wasn't a coincidence. On Google Home and Amazon Echo. Correct. So I decided to have a chat with Pikachu. and How was that experience? Um, the novelty wore away as fast as it began. I mean, I... I so basically, by the time you finish your first sentence, you're already over it? <laughs> basically, I asked Google, like, hey, Google, can I talk to Pikachu? And, oh... No, it didn't activate good. You whispered it, that's why. Yeah. He has a Google Home in the corner. Oh, yeah, so. it, it's picked up sometimes when I, I've tried whispering something, then it does pick it's up. Those far-range yeah. microphones are just too good. Yeah. And, you know, I asked it a few things, but you can only hear Pika Pika so many times before you're like, all right, I get it, haha. Like, Or you hear Pikachu like tell you a story or sing a song, and it, it's one of those things that just like... um. Just like one to switch, it's one of those things you only bring out whenever there's someone that hasn't experienced yet. Such as, let's say, listeners of a podcast. Oh, I don't know. I haven't. Do you, do on, you know? So, so Alexa's kind of neat. Unlike Google Home, actually, Google works with Assistant, but Alexa, um, you can do it from the Amazon app. So, if I just say like, you can also do it from the Google ask Home Pikachu app. to talk. Oh, I guess you could. It should just start talking. Yeah, so that's it. This is the entire experience. Uh, tell me a story. Thrilling. It's just minutes of this. Endless amounts of time of this. Whether you are or not, he just starts chanting and you're in the Pika cult, and next thing you know, you're dressed as a Mimikyu and your life is over as you know it. Anyway, I'm just gonna fade this out because he's not showing up. But anyway, yeah, so that that is literally the extent of your Pokemon day, was that? Yeah, I honestly um by the time I was still going. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Yeah, by the time I was done with that, I didn't even realize it was Pokemon Day. See, you're 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 failing in the engagement of the whole the whole brand engagement of Pikachu, Pokemon, whatever. Yeah, I, I, mean, d- for, I didn't let the brand get activated. You, you were not <laughs> brand activated. No, I mean, I I had a much more eventful Pokemon Day. I mean, first of all, let me guess, you played Pokemon Go. At well, some well, point. first of all, let, let's yes, but well, before we get there, it's important to know it was also Free Pancake Day at IHOP, so. That's like a super blue blood moon, you know, where the things just circum- – circumstance is just like once-in-a-lifetime moment where these two holidays that didn't exist until a few years ago and they just happen to overlap. Like you got to really live it up and eat some pancakes. But 
beyond that, uh, yeah, I talked to Pikachu on my Amazon Echo as well, and I caught Pikachu's infested party hats in Pokemon Go. That was pretty much it. Um, it it's a riveting time to be had by all. But in all seriousness, yeah, I, I mean, Pokemon Day and Mario Day are obviously total marketing gimmicks. There's no... I think there's no way around that, but but uh, they're kind of. I kind of like how clever they are, to be honest. Like, it's sort of like a team appreciation day in sports or something. Like, I know. I, it, you know? It's like May the Fourth be with you, day. Yeah, it's like fifth. it's literally that. It's cringy, but I mean, like, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, there's nothing to be separate. Or like Mario, like just the fact that it came up with March 10, like that's pretty. That's clever. clever. Yeah. That's that's really clever because you, you turn I mean, the I into a one and then boom. But. Yeah, it's like whether I mean I guess it's just whether you're like a diehard fan or just some laps fan. There's enough going on to sort of catch your attention. I think my favorite of those like creator ones still like the the Star Wars one. That May one the Force. Yeah, that one. Yeah, and then they're like, like, let's put Avengers there instead of Solo. It's like, what are you doing? And they're like, nope, moving Avengers. And now there's nothing. Well, I guess so. it's more appropriate to that to have nothing over Avengers. Yeah. Oh, I meant for that day. Oh, but yeah. yeah. I'm just disappointed that they. So there's been a Marvel movie every single birthday weekend my birthday's May 5th so every single weekend someone's gonna steal my identity now that they know that uh, publicly said on air he's an honorary Mexican uh, sure every single (laughs) um, birthday since Iron Man 1 there's been a Marvel movie I believe and this is the first time there hasn't it's very crushing but um, yeah my my point is with with the days with the holidays is you know there's enough going on to catch someone's attention like if you see a headline about say the Pikachu talk app on Alexa and Google Home Maybe in that article, there's, you know, it'll clue you in on the other festivities of the day, which may, may get you to then go revisit Pokemon Go for the first time in a while to catch one of the special Pikachus or to, like, jump back into the anime. They had uh, Pokemon I Choose You, the latest movie, was streaming for free the entire day on, I think, Pokemon.com. So, you know, even if it's just, like, they had Snapchat filters, which is who cares. But on the Snapchat filters, that little hashtag Pokemon Day logo... And that may get you to go Google what else is going on, and then suddenly you're back into Pokemon Go or whatever. So it's just like these whole holidays, as ganky as they are, they do provide kind of like a new gateway into brand activation and brand engagement and all those buzzwords by sort of centering activities around this feeling of like that good old feeling of like FOMO, where it's just like, oh, I don't want to miss out on whatever's going on with all this Pokemon stuff. I did like Pokemon. Let me go see what's going on. And then next thing you know, you're kind of. You're kind of back in it. I mean, I realize that's not like a one man marketing pitch. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to deny that, but. Like even if you're even if you're a fan and you don't need to re-engage, it's just kind of it's kind of fun, you know. Like you're super hardcore about Pokemon, then it's just a bunch of neat little rewards and Easter eggs for you to do for a day. Like I spent more time talking to the Pikachu app than I want to admit on air. It was definitely more than the two minutes it should have been. So I don't know. I mean, the better example in my in in my case at least is probably Pokemon Go. Like it barely makes headlines anymore. So to your to answer your point, yeah, I, I did play Pokemon Go. Uh, it barely makes headlines anymore, but I mean, you would have played Pokemon Go that day, regardless, right? Not, uh, I play I'm almost day, play, somewhat, yeah. yeah. But like, what what's nice about Go is, and what works for tying it in with Pokemon Day is, they have to Go's credit continued to expand its offerings. They've made it a more well-rounded experience. It's actually like a full game now, and we've talked about raids and whatnot in the past. Uh, but Niantic's actually done this good job, really, since May the holidays of just every few weeks there's something new to do like pokemon go or, or pokemon day had the pikachu hats valentine's day had love discs and chances all over the place uh the legendaries from gen 3 are being rotated almost bi-weekly um in the raids now so there's always a new one or always something different the third gen pokemon are being introduced every like six to eight weeks they 
like trot out twenty twenty five more. So have they more. brought out Origin three yet? No, they're they're drip feeding it, but it's working because you know you have like four weeks of new Pokemon to catch, and there's some sort of interesting new raid to do. Then there's more new Pokemon to catch. Then there's love discs discs for Valentine's Day. Then there's Pikachu's and hats. Then there's more new Pokemon. Like it's a steady cycle now. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, they feel like they finally found their groove, and they're not even like, yeah halfway through the Pokemon yet. So exactly, yeah. And I mean, I I, I guarantee that like. Not everyone's suddenly back into Pokemon Go now, nor do I expect them to be. Like, you probably haven't touched it since peak popularity two summers ago, right? It's long gone from your phone. Yeah, it? I was going to say, you can't touch what you don't have. Exactly. But, like, that's the beauty of something like Pokemon Day, because you may not be enticed to jump back in, but there's some people who are. Not until Chantop's in it. Well, for me, I'm retiring once Bidoof's in it. That's why I say it's not going to oh, be so true. So we're going to be trading. Exactly. No, I'm going to keep playing probably. I'm just telling myself that. So every time I go on a poker walk with coworkers where we just leave the office and go catch Pokemon, I don't feel – I don't feel like – I feel like it's like, oh, this is a limited time thing. I'm not crazy, I swear. And then, of course, I'll keep playing. But um, but yeah, like for you, okay, so Pokemon Day didn't get you to play Go, but some people maybe got to play Go. And now that they've done um, this whole game as service structure in place properly with regular updates all the time – it you know people are going to jump back in, stay in, and they're going to make money off these people all because they have a talking Pikachu app on Google Home. Like it's just kind of cool how it works. I mean, it's a strategy that so many mobile games do. Uh, it's why Fire Emblem Heroes is not only Nintendo's most profitable mobile app, but also, at least according to analytics from Sensor Tower, it has made five times the money of Super Mario Run. They say that uh, Fire Emblem Heroes has made three hundred million dollars. That's the equivalent. If it were traditional $60 games, someone on Twitter pointed this out that I follow, that's the equivalent of selling 5 million copies of your game mm-hmm. in, in Fire Emblem Heroes. Like, that's crazy. So, but, like, that idea of, you know, you have to keep having events every couple of weeks will keep making money. That's what Fire Emblem does well. That's what Pokemon Go is now starting to do. And so they're hooking people in with that. It's why we keep seeing Animal Crossing Pocket Camp have new events every couple of weeks now. Like, those are coming down the pipe fast all of a sudden. I mean, there's new villagers, there's new clothing, there's a new mini game at the OK Motors, like RV store, there's flower collecting events, there's fishing events, there's, I swear, it's like every 10 days there's something new in Animal Crossing. So, you know, if, if Pokemon Go does that, if Animal Crossing does that, if Fire Emblem does that, they'll make money and they'll be fine. And Pokemon Day is sort of the doorway in, at least for Go. So, that's my two cents on, on dumb holidays that aren't really holidays. Uh, with all that said, we are getting a second pseudo holiday in a couple weeks on March 10th, of course, Mario Day, as we already sort of talked about. And, we don't know what Nintendo itself is doing for Mario Day at all. Uh, last year they did something kind of cool, actually, where they donated money to a children's fund uh, for children's hospitals. It was Starlight Foundation, and then they had some sales on the eShop, and that was it. But this year we know that Bloomingdale's, of all places, is getting in on Mario Day. Uh, they're kicking off a whole line of Nintendo-themed items that they're calling the Let's Play Collection. It's a curated collection. A whole bunch of different brands are involved, like high-end, like Marc Jacobs, Gitman Vintage, all various brands. And there's even non clothing items they're gonna have uh sugarfina who makes good but very expensive and kind of overpriced candy they're gonna have them doing special candy they're gonna have those swell water bottles you know like the metal ones they're gonna have special mario ones of those for sale it's this whole big thing and it's all very trendy looking for lack of a better way to put it. it's all very like in right now i mean most of most of the clothes are like sprites from the super nintendo era leaning on that 90s nostalgia um but very minimalistic I don't know. Where's my N64 Polygon tee? Just wait. That's the next. Give it like four years. That's not that long. No. All right, cool. There's already an N64 logo t-shirt I see everywhere now. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. It's a black shirt with a huge logo front and center. And that's it. Just the N. And it says N64 above it. 
Get but in or get out. Get in or get out. But yeah, they're uh, like these. I mean, they're kind of cool in their minimalistic ways. Like, but also they're not so minimalistic in price, which kind of sucks. Like, uh, they do one where you're replacing. They have a polo shirt, you know, like the three button collar shirt, and they replace the little horse that would normally be like for Ralph Lauren or whatever on the corner with a like on the breast with a little yoshi sprite so i get it because yoshi's like the horse of the mario games that's actually really clever but then i see the price and it's 125 dollars and i'm like not that clever not bad, so, not bad. i mean it's not for it isn't it isn't like is there anything in the collection you've browsed through it anything you're interested in in that well, probably that yoshi t oh the 125 125 that uh i was no that's you, a little you stop at two zeros three is just too many oh <laughs> uh, i am kind of eyeing those 30 dollar bowser socks oh yeah is that that's the mario kart sprite right yeah a little more reasonable than 120 dollars but it is for one pair of socks which is a little you could literally buy like a packet of like six socks for maybe 10 bucks yeah but you're getting no bowsers on those socks yeah, that is a thing. I, it, it is fine to like. Then again, I typically, I mean, I only really wear shorts in the summer, and even then, I still the majority of the time wear pants. That you, I mean, you've already seen my socks, basically. So I can attest to this. I, I don't usually see the socks. Not that I'm looking for them, but they're yeah. not usually there to see. But I don't know. I do kind of want them. I do have Bowser Sprite socks already. What, what's but, fun? You know what's funny about this Bloom, Bloomingdale's thing is. We have had variants I mean, of I all these designs through the other promotions. Uniqlo, Vans, Forever 21. They have a Mario Kart hoodie, right? I'm wearing a much cooler design Mario Kart hoodie right now from Forever 21. I agree. I have that same one. Yes. Um, we're twinsies. But, yeah, like, these are fine. But at the higher prices for things that are less designed, I mean, so I would speak, imagine the quality of the fonts would be a lot. significant. Yeah. Better. I mean, and, and there is something to say about that. I, um, There are, like, some sweaters that I have recently bought for, like, more than what I would normally pay for. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really nice, like in the hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah. The quality, you do get quality. So I guarantee the Mario Kart hoodie that costs however much it costs at Bloomingdale's, a couple hundred, is probably significantly nicer than this $45 one I'm wearing. Yeah, <laughs> Although like, this one's yeah, like, the, like, the, like the Bowser's Price socks that I have. I, I don't remember where I got them. I want to say it was a um, lunchbox. Is that is that what it's called? A lunchbox? Yes. Uh, it's uh, Box hot, lunch. Box lunch. It's Hot Topic. <laughs> right. Lunchbox. Box lunch. Oh, yeah. It's Hot Topic's uh, like... Not... You know how Hot Topic looks really goth when you go into it? This one's like, what if everything was just made of wood? Like, it's literally just a wood Hot Topic, but it's nicer. Box lunch looks like what I would imagine Hot Topic always wanted to be, but... At one point, but it is hot topic. Yeah, but hot yeah. topic at one point got stuck in its angsty teenage years and just never got out. Meanwhile, and that just became yeah. its identity. And box lunch is like, oh, so you watch Big Bang Theory and you're in your twenties, you might enjoy this store. <laughs> but yeah, but they do one. But cool anyway, thing. but anyway, like yeah. the well, yeah. the quality of those socks, like I mean, they look cool because they're like NES Bowser sprites. Yeah, but you could tell like they're not gonna last that long. Yeah, and I would imagine the Bowser ones from. Bloomingdale's would definitely last a long Probably. Longer. I mean, because, yeah, they're collaborating with, I think, 12 different brands or some crazy, surprisingly big number of brands. And for $30, so. I would hope so, so. Yeah, right. Um, but, like, regardless of whether we're actually buying much from this collection, it sounds like you might get socks. It sounds like I'm probably getting nothing. But regardless, um, what's noteworthy about it is its relation to Mario Day in that they're holding what amount to launch events for the whole collection on both coasts on March 10th on Mario Day. They'll be at their New York flagships. They'll be at their LA flagships. They're going to be setting up all sorts of Mario-themed displays. They're going to have, have a life-size Mario. Unclear if it's a person in a costume or a statue or literally Mario. Just a life-size Mario will be there. Um, they're going to be running playable game demos. They're going to have just like this pol- – they're calling it a Polaroid wall. I don't know what that means. It's just a bunch of screens. It's going to be Nintendo-y. So it's just – they're going full Nintendo for the day. And oh, um, Huh? What time? 
Uh business hours <laughs> <laughs> they haven't specified i assume business hours on march 10th but um well, i might have to check it out oh really because i'm pretty sure i asked if you want to go and you're like i have plans that day and i'm like sure you do and well uh, i do have plans but to go to bloomingdale's without me i got well it. i mean i can only go if it's early like before one i'm sure they're open before one we'll we'll, we'll take this off air and figure it out well i mean i don't have to go with you you could go on your own time and i could just well, I'm taking one oh. of our friends with us, so... Oh, well, then you'll... Looks like we're going to be having rival factions going. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, yeah, the thing I find interesting about them doing this is it's literally the physical embodiment of how Pokemon Day spread Pokemon around. Like, instead of popping up in unexpected places in the digital world, like with a Snapchat filter, Mario's popping up at your mall in the middle of a high-end department store. Like, both achieve the exact same goal of Nintendo expanding their IP to broader audiences to different audiences... They're just doing it in very different ways to very different crowds about two weeks apart. So it's just kind of interesting to see them side by side. That's taking very different paths to the same goal. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably going – well, I know for sure at least I'm going to the, the uh, L.A. location. It sounds like you may be independently but simultaneously also going. I mean we so, might be like passing each other on the freeway. Or because, possibly in person. Because there's no way you're going to wake up before 12. Well, let's not drag my bad sleeping habits into this. I could get up early if I need to. Um, that's true. But, I'll, yeah, either way, one of us, both of us will report back if there's anything interesting that happens. But, hey, this is the most engaged, brand-activated will be with Mario on a Mario Day in its two years of existence. So so go us. Um, in the meantime, before that, uh, we have a noteworthy day right here, right now. The Switch's first anniversary, March 3rd, is the system's birthday. We're recording this on March 3rd, so we're literally living in its anniversary moment, I guess. I don't know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, what a what a year it's been. I mean, we we covered a lot of it in episode 166. For those who don't remember which one that is, that's when we look back at 2017. We're like, wow, the Switch had a great year. And I think two months, three months later, we can still safely say, wow, the Switch had a great year. I mean, my game, my favorite game still remains Mario Odyssey. I imagine yours is still Zelda. Has anything changed since December till now in that regard? Hmm. Has it? What could you have possibly played on Switch that topped Zelda? <laughs> I don't know. I guess still Zelda for now. I'll All get back right, to you. Go. How many how many hours have you been put into Zelda? Because you played it a couple times over, right? Like you're going through uh, plus, not, not plus hard yeah, challenge. Yeah, just, it's just hard mode and this time. Like I'm still like maybe I'm probably like sixty hours in. Like I've, I've essentially doubled my playtime because the first time I only played it for, I think I beat the game initially in like less than yeah, you know, like less than ten hours or eighteen hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because I went just straight for the final boss and then maybe did one guardian. And then I started the game over, and then now I'm, like, combing through the whole thing. So there's still lots for me to go through. But since there's other games coming out, and they don't seem to stop coming out, like, in drills of, like, four or five per week. Yeah. It's like, well, it's literally like, all right, I'll play for ten minutes at a time, but I will beat it again properly. I'd ask you to tell me uh, what your actual hour count is in the game, but I can't because of the Y2K bug on the Switch right now. It's not a real Y2K bug, but you know what I'm talking I mean, about, You can right? look in-game. Yes, but right now, I know. Yeah, yes, yeah. right now in the play history, if you go to someone's profile, if you hit a year, the games vanish. It says played zero days, and then it starts recounting. But then here's where it gets weird. On day eleven, it suddenly comes back. Because you know how in your play activity, the first ten days, it just says like uh, when you first played it, it doesn't keep the current count, and then on day eleven, it kicks in the actual hour count. Basically, someone somewhere at Nintendo probably forgot to punch in year as one of the variables they need to account for. So once it hits the one-year mark, it just is like, oh, it's March 3rd again. You haven't played it since March 3rd, so I guess zero days. 
So weird little bug. Nintendo says they're looking into it. Um, the fact that it comes back suggests it's not deleted for anyone who's panicking, but it is literally what happened on Y2K. That was the oh. concern on Y2K. So that means that some people we might see something like haven't played in a year or something like this? It, no, it'll just say played zero days or played for the first time or something like oh. that. It, it literally just erases the number. So if you have like 400 hours in Zelda, it's going to be like, you played no, two hours. No, but you, you said after 11 days. It just oh, it'll, no, it'll go back to – apparently it goes back to showing the total hour count. It doesn't say in a year. No, but that's right, but if – I want to say that if you've never made it past a set number, it only says when you start playing. I think it's only after a certain number. Of hours. Oh, and yeah, it has to be at least an hour. Before oh. you get any ideas, I've played all my games at least an hour. Don't don't you dare. <laughs> but um, well, I, well, it's not like I'd be able to verify because we're not even friends. I'll because switch. you refuse to friend me until I do something in Splatoon, which I still haven't done because I'm horrible at playing games. Anyway, Verminable. let's let's talk about um, uh, Switch sales. <laughs> yeah, uh, like it, there's. One thing that's been consistent, I guess you could say, since Switch first came onto the scene is it's just been shattering sales records and doing better than anyone thought. Especially, like, it's such a strong comeback after the Wii U. And even if you look at January's MPD sales numbers, which just came out a few weeks ago, um, you know, that's a month that saw not a single new Switch game from Nintendo itself, just some third-party stuff. Lost Sphere, a physical release of a game that's been out since November, Rocket League. Um, but just, you know, even with that in mind... Guess what hardware sold the most units here in America in January? The Switch? Correct. Yes, good guess. That was great. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Why would you ask? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a Switch. Yeah, no, my, the, it's just crazy that this Nintendo's gone so 180 from Wii U that not only are they selling well when they have games to sell well with, but they're selling well on months when they have literally no games. So it, it's just chugging along. And guess which system had three games in the top ten? The Switch? How did you know? Yeah, the Switch. It. Uh, I mean, those games were in the lower part of the top ten. It was Mario Odyssey at number seven, Breath of the Wild at number eight, Mario Kart 8 at number nine. But again, these games are old. This is a new month. There was Monster Hunter to be bought. Monster Hunter was the top game of the month, but still, this Nintendo, the best-selling console or system in general, Mario and Zelda and Kart were all in the top ten. Still, it, like they're chugging along. It's so much like the Wii days, and so much not like the <laughs> like the Wii U days. So it's just nice to see it going. I mean, to be fair, industry as a whole did great in January. Anyway, the industry actually went up fifty nine percent in sales from six hundred ninety million last January to over a billion this January. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, on the hardware side specifically, across every platform, not just Switch. Uh, sales went up 119% year over year. So it's not like it's not like the Switch alone is the success story. The game industry as a whole is doing great. Even the 3DS had its highest January since 2013. Hmm. Inexplicably. But uh, yeah, Switch was at the top of the heap. And you can of course attribute that to the narrative that's formed over the last year that we've talked about on the show a million times over, which is you got this genius idea for a system uh, with one of Nintendo's strongest game lineups in years, arguably, I'd actually go as far as to say it's one of the strongest game lineups for any console's first year ever. Like, it's nuts how good of a game lineup they had. They had all the games. They had all the games. And, like, the only one that comes close is maybe Wii. And, I mean, because Wii, in the first year, you had Wii Sports, Zelda, Metroid, Mario, WarioWare. Metroid Prime 3 was in the first year? It was. It was really? the first August. But here's the twist. Really? Mario Galaxy barely counts because it came out literally on the anniversary. In nine months, we had all these great games on Switch. It took a year for Wii to do it. So I would argue Switch had a better lineup than Wii in that regard. Um, yeah, and it's funny because a lot... Yeah, some of it is a kind of attributed to the fact that we had the Wii U, which means we got the Mario Kart this fast. And we got 
Maybe the Splatoon this fast? I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm pretty sure Splatoon, yeah. They basically, it was like a half port. I mean, they yeah, call it yeah, two, but yeah. it's Splatoon 1. Point, I'll, I mean, I'll be generous. It's Splatoon 1.75. Yeah, you, not... could, you could tell at some point they're like, all right, we got to stop working on this game and just start working on the sequel now. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, remember when they stopped the Splatfest or suddenly and they're like, no more support for Splatoon 1. And everyone's like, oh, I know what you're doing. It's going to be on NX. And sure enough, there it was. But yeah, they had a great year in part because the Wii U didn't have much success and in part just custom tell if i got their act together but uh yeah it's just like it's a story we've told a million times before on the show so i don't feel like even on the anniversary i don't know how much we need to go into that but what i think is worth noting is as we pass the one year mark right now there's some kind of unexpected trends that emerged over the switch's first year besides just great games and great sales and sales continuing even when games aren't around to be bought like uh there's specifically this pattern in the support of the games that are out, in the type of the games that have come out, and really just the downright sheer number of games. I mean, you're saying it's like four or five games a week, and yeah, it's, it's a lot. So first on this list of these trends that popped up is probably just how Switch games are supported. Like, gaming obviously is at this turning point right now where more and more titles are converting from one-off games to games of services. I like we've talked about this a bunch with Splatoon back on Wii U. We have gone over it a bunch with Arms and Splatoon Two, having free updates to extend Evergreen stats. You know, standard DLC like Zelda had all that Mario Kart on Wii U. All that's been around for a while, but it's getting to a point where like everyone's hopping on the bandwagon. Like I remember sometime last month, Ubisoft put out their financials, and they specifically made a point that it used to be that they do a one-time release of a game. So they put out like Assassin's Creed One, right? The next year, in year two of its life, 13% of its total revenue made will be in that second year. As In other words, it's very front-loaded. It's all in the first year. No one buys the thing in the second year. But then when they do what they call a live game, which is a game of service by a different name, they're actually seeing upwards of 52% of its revenue being made in the second year. So they went from a game being like a flash in the pan to something that's like this continuing, never ending that's redundant like living breathing ecosystem of its own and you know we see nintendo do it all the time splatoon and arms and whatnot but to see third parties and i'd be like yep it works for us too and then to see that kind of reflect back on switch games that aren't from nintendo is something new yeah and it, nintendo makes, fans. and it makes sense and it's something i guess unfortunate that the industry is kind of dealing with it's something that i've read about recently that like it's in the developers especially of AAA games that they kind of have to do in order to survive right now mm-hmm. because like i mean right now games they call they went from 49.99 to 59.99 and are they at 69 right now no they're 59 yeah still. 59 they're so, topping out at 60 yeah exactly so they've been 59.99 for the ps3 era and they're still 59.99 for the xbox one and ps4 era yeah and i mean i should also say switch and wii u but regardless like the Especially for the Xbox One and PS3, like the graphical prowess and what requires to make those games, like the budgets just keep going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was at a GDC or something like that, that I remember reading that if they wanted to actually charge for what they want, if they wanted to make their money back, like what they feel the game is actually worth, it would be like seventy nine ninety nine. Yeah. Like a fair price for these games right now, like Horizon or The Last of Us or like those kinds of games, it mm-hmm. would be eighty bucks, eighty dollar games. But most people just wouldn't pay eighty dollar games. Yeah, I think they even asked like a like a survey, like, "Oh, raise your hand. Who would pay eighty bucks for a game right now?" And only like two three one people dude raised in their... the back's like, "I support everyone." Any yeah, price. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So by making these games as a service, it's just a way to survive right now. But it's not really, I don't know. Some people, I guess, took advantage of that and kind of ruined it. Well, it's sort of what led to. Well. It's totally what led to loot boxes and all. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Like I mean, it's, that's... it's you can draw a There's... very direct line from people won't accept a more expensive game. 
granted, I'm, we're probably among those people. Yeah, I mean, to, I literally had to. Stop. I'm gonna have to get a booster pack of Magic cards, except it's actually game things, and I can't trade them if I don't like them because they're digital. I mean, I literally took a break from buying certain AAA games just because it just got a little too much. I had to kind of tone it down a little and only get the games that really know I wanted to play. But then you look at games like Smash Brothers and stuff that I just kept throwing money at them over the course of the thing because they were like, all right, five more bucks for another character? Sure, why not? Five yeah. more bucks for another but see, character? That... But that's fine because, I mean... Yeah, you know what you're getting. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm still enjoying the game. They're still giving me more to play that game even more. And if I end up giving them, like, essentially it was, like, I don't know, almost 100 bucks. That, that's oh, yeah, it did add up to close to that. Didn't someone calculate it's, like, 90-something? Yeah, something yeah. that. But, I mean, it still ends up being worth it. And, and, I mean, you don't feel cheated that way. I mean, they actually, yeah, they literally ended up making me pay more than those 80 bucks that people said it would have cost to make those games. But, yeah, I and mean, I mean, we, we do, Nintendo does it too. Like, they're not, yeah. not, you know, they're not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not it's, immune to this. They're, they're part of it. Like, the season pass thing they do for, like, all their, a lot of their games now is totally that. You pay up front. And then they get all that money up front, and then they sit on that money and make in- and make uh, you know money, make uh, not income. What's the word I'm looking for? We put mm-hmm. it in the bank and it generate it, uh, interest. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Then they make interest off that money, and it's very similar to the season passes are literally like GameStop pre-orders. There's no reason to pre-order a game at GameStop usually, yeah. except GameStop gets your five dollars and gets turned into five twenty-three over the course of like a year or whatever. You know, and that's twenty-three cents from every single person, and over time that builds. And that's all the season passes are, is like Nintendo or whoever is just like, hey, we're going to have all these characters come out, but we're going to make you pay for all of them up front, but here's what you're going to get. So Fire Emblem Warriors, you know you're going to get this down the next thing. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you know there's going to be two things and then an expansion of the story or whatever. So that's more reasonable. Like that's a way to do this whole, you need to have a game as a service, but you are presenting people with what they want. You could argue the season pass kind of sucks because you're being forced to buy a bundle, but at least you know what you're getting. Where things get weird is when you go into loot boxes and when you go into randomization and all that, where it's just... And those aren't even fully random. That's the problem. They're very weighted, and they hire people who know how, like... Uh, who know psychology of, like, uh, casinos and gambling and how to entice people with those and sort of plug that into your video game. And then that that's what you're stuck with. Um, luckily, Switch hasn't really had that. The updates that we're, we've been getting, and this is what's weird about it, is the updates that we've been getting, and, the, and what's surprising, is they are free. We're not getting... I mean, we're getting DLC. We're getting subscription things, you know, like season passes. We're getting the stuff that the ESRB is now labeling on the back of boxes as in... Do you know about that? The ESRB is going to do um, starting soon. They'll have a disclaimer if there's in-game purchases that can be made. Hmm. It was a response to loop, the loot box controversy. The problem is it doesn't specify loot boxes. It's just anything that has any sort of purchase, meaning... Every game will have the label, but um, except maybe like as of right now, Mario Odyssey. But yeah, um, yeah but what, what's surprising is on, on Switch, there's a lot that's happening that you wouldn't think would be free or wouldn't even be necessary, but they seem to be in a way recoup costs instead of just going like, hey, we could charge 80 bucks up front. They're like, all right, we'll charge 60. We'll take the feedback from players. We'll integrate that. We'll update the game, and then we get like a second wave because the Switch is selling so hot that people buy a system later. We'll hear the good buzz about the game from before. Yeah, it's like they're more concerned with just trying to get more people to buy the base game. Yeah, and... which is arguably a better strategy because everyone wins, and the people that buy early get free stuff. People buy it later, aren't paying an arm and a leg, and get the enhancements. Yeah, almost all their 
Yeah, almost like every single AAA Nintendo game feels like an evergreen game right now. Yeah. Which no, is... I mean, those MPD numbers are rallying yeah, off. Like, exactly. 7, 8, 9th are games from... Zelda's a year old as of today, as of this recording, and it's still in the top 10 of the MPD. It was number 5 best-selling game of the year of 2017. Like, things are happening. But, um, yeah, the, the the stuff I'm getting at, just to be clear, is not, like, patches. Obviously, patches are a thing. Like, Rhyme got an update recently uh, to fix its sub... 30 frames per second issue apparently runs a lot smoother looks a lot better ubisoft this is my favorite patch i've seen in a while ubisoft put out an uno game for switch we've never talked about it but they put out an uno game for switch and you could play online or locally and if you play online you cannot play with friends they had no way to play a game that's meant to be played with friends in a communal space to play with, friends. with friends in a virtual communal space so they just patched in um the ability to play with friends i don't understand how that didn't exist before but Whatever. But but what I'm actually referring to is not that sort of stuff. Those patches make sense. I'm talking things like Doom. So Doom just hit with an update. And it's it's version 1.1. And it's a surprisingly big update. They added motion controls out of nowhere. I mean, Doom is a game that sold well on Switch. It got good reviews. It had good player buzz. It was a lot of fun. It already impressed a lot of people by cramming so much onto the tiny Switch screen. Some feedback was, oh yeah, on the TV, some textures are blurry, you know, had like a Vaseline look. That's that's true. I played it. That's true. There are some bugs to address. But it's something that people are like, yeah, I mean, I acknowledge it. Yeah, but, but, it really, was, but, but it doesn't really ruin my experience. Yeah, it's like, well, I get it. That's the trade-off yeah. of Switch. And like there were some actual bugs. There's some audio glitches, which they've already patched. So that all makes sense. But then out of nowhere, they're just like, Bethesda's just, hey... Here's motion controls. Oh, and also, look how much better the graphics look. They cleaned up a lot of the blurry textures. Like, this was not a thing they needed to do, and yet they did for free. That's what's kind of cool about how developers seem to be taking uh, their evergreen, extend-the-life-of-the-game approach on Switch versus a different any other system where they try and just make money right yeah, this makes it right. harder to decide whether I want to buy Doom on the Switch or get um, Doom BFR. Yeah. Well, what's BFR offer that Switch doesn't? Full VR support? Oh, V... Oh, V... VFR. Yeah. I thought you... Yeah. I told him I misheard you. Um, there's a BFR. I did say BFR. Yeah. I meant to say VFR, but yeah. Oh, well, that makes more sense. Oh, that's a tricky one. Because on one hand... On one hand, I mean, you control we, one with it, your hands. Yeah. Because of motion controls. And I could play with it. But, I mean, with VFR, presumably... I haven't looked too much into it, but besides, I mean... You're aiming with your head, so yeah. that's all motion controls. But yeah. I think if you I would assume you get to use the PlayStation Move to also aim with your hands. I would assume so. It sounds like it just sounds like do you want to be in the world or do you want to like have the world like, on the bus with you? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, I still have to go with v- actually. It's like twenty bucks. There's like no on VR. Yeah. What does it come with multiplayer? I'm pretty sure uh, it, it's, it's Doom. It's just Doom. They mapped the entirety of multiplayer to VR. Oh, I don't know. I didn't know it's like it's just the Doom game in yeah. VR. Yeah. I think for no 20, really bucks, talks for 20 bucks, it sounds cool. Considering I, I haven't really heard anyone talk about the multiplayer, it doesn't sound like I'll be missing no, much. No, it's, I don't, I, yeah. Have you touched the multiplayer? No. Really? No. Huh. I downloaded it, I just haven't done it yet. Oh, that's right, you have to download it. Yeah, that's why on, the, that's on, why on Switch, Switch it's not really talked about much, because it's free, but you have to download it. But, but the motion control thing, I mean, I don't know if that's, it sounds like you're getting the VR one, but if you do get it on Switch, like, the motion controls are kind of cool in that they work like Splatoon. So you're aiming with the right Joy-Con, and that kind of shifts your view and if you're playing with controllers attached, you know, like TV mode or with the grip or, like, you use the kickstand and kind of play with the Joy-Cons in your hands, works great. Motion controls are great. But 
not so much in portable mode. This is actually a pet peeve of mine with the Switch in general. Like, it applies to Splatoon. It applies, excuse me, it applies to Splatoon. It applies to Mario Odyssey. It applies to Doom now. Motion controls when using Switch in handheld just don't make sense to me. Like, I don't see why... I would ever want to move the screen away from me at that sharp of an angle. Yeah, you literally, like, in Splatoon, you have to actually, like, fold the screen downward in order to do something. I'm just like, but then I can't eat. The, the, my view is literally turning away from me. I will, I will say that, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you have the sensitivity on too high. I don't know. But just from my experience by playing Splatoon with the motion controls, like, yeah. on handheld, and handheld yeah. mode, I, I've never had an issue with them. Interesting. What like, about Mario? What about Mario? Mario? Mario Odyssey. If you want to do the advanced moves, they're all motion only, which again, with the grip or with the Joy-Cons by themselves, is fine. You never needed them? But you don't need them, true, but if you want to do some of the advanced stuff, well, if you're playing handheld and you need to get a balloon in, you know, the Balloon World minigame, and it's like, you have to do all these crazy jumps to get to it, and it's like, well, you can't, because you have the portable, so you can, but you're like shaking the, the system around your head, and it's not Well, ideal. I mean, I 100% in Odyssey before the balloon thing was a thing, so I, know. I don't feel compelled to go back to it. Right. But, I mean, also Revelations, that was all, like, in 3D yeah. and using motion controls, and it never broke the 3D that, for me. That's even what's weird, anything. is, like, on... Like, it was perfectly fine. If anything, that's the game that made me go, like, wow, motion controls is so awesome, and it was on a handheld where you had to move the screen of all things. That's what's weird, to be honest, is I liked Revelations on 3DS with motion control. But when I did Splatoon, when I did Mario I think, Odyssey, I don't know. Doom, what, what, what all of them to me... I mean, it's obviously a, pe- a personal issue. It's, and it's I'm a saying, me issue, yeah, not a motion yeah, not, issue. And I'm not saying but, this part of you, but what I do notice sometimes is that um, there are some people that I have seen play that do move the screen more... They move the controller more than they need to. Or maybe I bet saying, I'm one of them. But you can also add just the sensitivity. You could probably yeah. make it more sensitive so you don't have to move it as but much. But then, like... So correct me if I'm wrong with Splatoon. Does it know... Does it have sensitivity for portable versus... Not portable. I mean, it was it one sensitivity. Do I have it, to change every time I change? You probably would have to style. change it every See, time. That seems actually. Yeah. I don't know. I would assume. If anyone knows, leave a comment because I know they have one. For, <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I mean, like I know Odyssey, for example, does not. But then again, you can't really do some of the advanced moves in portable anyway because you have to like swing the Joy Cons to the right, like make a right flick with your wrist. It's like, well, do you just turn your system ninety degrees to the right? Like, so yeah. It's again, it's a pet peeve of mine. Um, but and and I'm positive it's me specifically because you have no problem with the exact same games. So, but yeah, in terms of like conceptual level, though, like Doom is this is cool what they did with Doom. Like a game came out, it did well, it received praise, and then the developers decided, you know what, we're gonna give them even more for free, and then built out a whole alternative control screen scheme. Like five years ago, on a Nintendo system, that would have been totally unheard of. Like, I can't think of a single game, even in Wii, where there's, like, we, we, we like, changed the mechanics of a game just because. Because they had no incentive to. There was no sales to back up doing such things. It just never happened. And prior to Wii, it was just not a thing. Like, Wii didn't really do patches in the same way. So, yeah, it's it's, it's just becoming, like, a status quo now, which is kind of cool. I mean, Rocket League, we mentioned last episode, they're rolling out two different performance modes for how you want to play the game, resolution, frame rate. And here's another game. Sold great on Switch, was the number one most downloaded eShop game in November, one of the busiest sales months of the year. Has tons of DLC, paid DLC that they can get people to buy to make money. You know, like, big brands like WWE and DC Comics have cars coming to it, or already there, or more coming. And yet, the developers were still like, here's an opportunity to do more Switch, here's an opportunity to make it better, to boost sales even more. So they did. It, it's just really nice to see. I mean, even Xenoblade Chronicles 2, they have the um, New Game Plus mode, 
that they just rolled out on Friday. It's an 80-hour game. They don't need to give you a free New Game Plus mode, and yet there it is. To be fair, New Game Pluses are usually always in those kinds of games. Yeah, but they didn't need to do it. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm I mean, saying there's no... Re- they could have I don't know. I, I guess, like, in, in that specific example, like it, to me, it feels more like, oh, they didn't include it? That's weird. But would, So would you have thought that if they never mentioned it? If they just put the game out at $60, gave you eight hours of content, It'd did be, all it, that, did DLC, and then there's just never a New Game Plus mode, would you be like, where's my New Game Plus mode? Or yeah, just I would. Gonna, oh. Because when I play games like Tales of Games that are usually, like, 80 to 100 hour games, after you beat them, there's always a New Game Plus mode. If anything, like, when oh. you, if, usually when you beat the game, they're like, oh... What stats do you want to carry over? And they let you, like, kind of pick and choose, like, some stuff, and then you start the new game. Hmm. Like, it's very, I mean, a, yeah, it's very traditional, those kinds of games, to have a new game plus. Okay, so maybe that's less of an example. But I stand by my Doom and Rocket League examples 100%, because those are, like... I mean, it obviously, in this case, it didn't need it, I guess. Yeah. But it's just weird. It'd be like, I don't know, like, if for some reason... The next Mario Kart now doesn't have doesn't come with a 200 CC. I guess I don't know. Oh, uh, and that one was patched in in the first one anyway. Yeah. In Mario Kart 8 original anyway. Yeah. yeah, all right, that's fair. But I guess I guess where where I stand at this with this is not so much like oh games are getting updated. It's this. I mean, the fact that they did it though, I, mean, I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah, but it's the it's the trend that like the mechanical side of games are changing. It's not just like, you know, Barman R now versus a year ago where they add a bunch of bombers or arms where they, you know, every couple months put something new. Or, yeah, even, also, or even Balloon well, I mean, World and Mario also, I mean, they also adjusted how many, how you gain more points because before you wouldn't gain currency for multiplayer. Oh, that's true. They, like, they changed, they also changed the prices of some things. They did a lot of cool adjustments that made the game more, like, quality of life yeah. insurance. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's just interesting, like, I guess so arms kind of straddles the line between the two of these, but just, like, games you... Like, a fighting game, I would expect that, because, you know, they do char- character bouncing anyway, based yeah. on how people play, so sure, tack on new money schemes, but, like, adding entire control schemes, adding changing up how the resolution works in a game for one of two different things, like, that's the sort of stuff we never saw before. It's just kind of cool that, like, now they're doing it. It took a while for arms to add a customize your controller Yeah, that took, like, feature. six months. Really? Why? It was six or maybe months. it was four. Didn't it come out in, like... It was definitely it was like September, the September update, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't the first update. It was definitely with, months, uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to tell yeah, you. It's there now, but because um, by then I had already gotten used to clicking for blocking, and it's like, well, it's too late now. Yeah, you already they already conditioned you. This now feels natural, but it shouldn't. <laughs> but yeah, they really should have picked the pace up on that. Yeah, well, there's lots of things that are we could we've done many that I feel like if you could sum up the Switch first year in three words, it would be. Arms needs change. <laughs> like I feel like every two episodes are just like, you know what they could do differently in Arms? They need to do this, and you know what else they should do in Arms? They should do that. It's and funny, they need more characters. There's so many great things about Arms too. It's like we're, we're, game... we're launching back in. I, I guess know. we have to for the anniversary, but yeah, we're literally yeah. launching back in. No, go no, ahead. No, no. What are you gonna say? No, no, no. It's just because like I love everything about Arms so much. Yeah, just... the personality yeah. of that game is so great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's something else Nintendo did really well with Switch in the first year. Is every game is such a defined distinct arms personality oh they will and, and I'll be happy they definitely will the game sold like over easily over a million like I it granted it tapered off rather fast but it sold over a million what about Pokemon so. how did that do not a million yet as far as I know but doing I think it's up there it's getting up there it's approaching it's closing it we're gonna get Blastoise DLC this month huh? that's right They. you know what's funny why didn't they launch that on Pokemon Day they put out a press release for Pokemon Day we linked to it in the uh, blog post for this episode it's like the first link and they're just like 
here's what you can do on Pokemon Day. Watch the Pokemon mm-hmm. anime. Hope Talk to Pikachu seen... and wait for mm-hmm. the DLC. And I'm like, wait for the DLC. <laughs> it's like it's coming in two weeks. It's like, why not do it today? Just sit there. Yeah. I hope instead of doing a character every other month, like right now with Age of Slash and Blastoise, mm-hmm. and then nothing for the foreseeable future, I hope they just announce like, all right, one character month starting, I don't know, April. That'd be nice. But See that that's the type. That's of... actual thing. I'm pretty sure they're gonna do like, all right, here are two more characters coming in May and July. Well, I mean that that's kind of the mo of how Nintendo does all this. Like, look at any um, of their DLC rollout. But... It's part like Fire Emblem Warriors did it. Hyrule Warriors did it. It's sort of part for Smash did it. It's sort of part for. I think I would argue Arms actually was the closest to achieving the goal you're describing. Because yeah. granted, they they well, because they needed it. Yeah, but I Pokemon. Yeah, like I was almost satisfied with the roster, like barely satisfied because like, all right, it's the first game of mm-hmm. this thing, and they still managed to add a few more things. And even now, like with the arcade roster and the old one together, it's it, it feels like a full fighting game. Yeah, it it it. I'm pretty close to jumping back into it, but it's only gonna get better from here, really. Yeah, but but the thing I'm starting to say, like you made a good point when you were talking about the arms and how much you like arms minus things you don't like about arms. Um, that sort of sent me on a tangent that I want to circle back to real quick, which is. Something really cool about the Switch's first year is the games had such defined personalities. In a way that a lot of Nintendo games, not you know, they all have some, but like they did some crazy world building with Splatoon. They did it with Arms, Mario Odyssey, Zelda, like those bit Mario and Rabbids to some extent, which is like half Nintendo. But like, there's so many games that were very distinct and unique and sort of stood out and really were able to sort of catch your eye and catch your attention all within like nine months. It's it's like we talk about oh the games are good like they were good games but you don't really take think about the fact that they were memorable experiences like not just because like the gameplay was good but like New Donk City was like a thing like Jump Up Superstar became a thing Arms all the characters and everything were like a thing like it it was even though the you know the game can't win or whatever but you mentioned someone from Arms you mentioned Helix from Arms and anyone that's really following Nintendo is probably like oh that slime thing from Arms like it's like it's distinct. It was they did a really good job of kind of marrying good games with really creative personalities for those games, which is something you know, in the Wii U days they had some. I'd I'd say Captain Toad's way up there in terms of having that kind of like distinct feel to it, but I don't know if it was quite at the same level as what they managed to do with with Switch this first year. It's it's impressive. It's impressive. Um but while we're talking about DLC and stuff, it's probably worth mentioning some mechanical adjustments that maybe still are needed, so you're talking about how they were doing mechanical adjustments that weren't needed is probably to um, Mario Odyssey's Balloon World. Luigi's Balloon World, for as much as it does right, um, kind of has some issues. I mean, it does a lot right, first of all. Like, 30-second scavenger hunts are a neat idea. Luigi's dialogue changing depending on the costume Mario walks up to him in, kind of a funny idea. The fact that Luigi's hat and the three balloons behind him make up the exact color order of the Super Famicom controller, nice Easter egg. Like, there's a lot of things they did right, and yet... People figured out a way to essentially break the entire thing already. It was broken within like a day. Basically what they did is they were able to leverage game clippings so they could put balloons behind walls. Like they would do it so they glitch the game and as they're going behind the wall real quick, they'll drop the balloon there. But no one knows how to exactly replicate that glitch because it's a glitch. It doesn't happen consistently. So then you're going through your um, balloon world adventures, shall we say, and you just get stuck at these points where you can't do anything. And what's annoying is you're not just losing out on potential game reward with coins for continuing your streak of finding balloons because the more balloons you find the more coins you get and you get a streak going and this just kind of you like hit a wall literally at this point 
but also the people who successfully hide their balloons from you and keep them hidden earn coins for doing it. So they're literally earning coins for stopping you from getting coins, which under normal circumstances, that's just the tug of war of game, of games. But um, in this case, when it's a glitch, ah, it's not good. I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I mean, you could sort of circumvent it. Like, there's in-game code you can use to access um, balloon challenges from people you trust. Like, there's a code they generate, and you can punch in the code and go to that specific challenge. So that's kind of nice. But if you're just doing the random shuffle of these or whatever it is, you can't just keep going because you'll eventually find all these glitches, and that just puts an end to it. And they have to restart from scratch and start earning up the coins again. And it's just... I'm sure they'll issue a patch, but it's just kind of those things that... Frustrating in the interim and kind of unfair, and people need to be nice. That's all I'm saying. Just be nice, people. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> be nice. Be nice. Like, why is the internet so mean? But it seriously, it's just like I stuff like this just kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's like you're not. You don't even get the joy of watching someone fail because it happens totally unrelated to you. Like, you don't watch them fail. You don't watch them hit your glitch. You just find out you made someone glitch by getting random coins sent your way which I guess is a sort of a weird sense of satisfaction but I don't know at least, like, at least when someone's getting bullied the bully's there doing the bullying so there's probably some weird gratification he gets out of it himself being there present in it this is like bullying from afar this is like cyberbullying do you want to be a cyberbully? I don't think so so you shouldn't hide balloons behind walls that's what I'm saying that's my PSA but I mean you, you, you said you haven't even tried Balloon World right? no yeah, it's I, I can't see you wanting to do it considering it's literally the Power Moon fetch quest that you don't like, but like more so. No, I mean it, it kind of is. If it had Power Moons involved in it, I'd get it. But there's no. I mean, I mean, gameplay wise, it mirrors that idea of finding things in nooks and crannies. Oh well, I mean, at least just on speed. I mean, at least from the Power Moon, at least you kind of get a hint or something. That's true. Well, this one, you know it's a certain radius because you only have 30 seconds. Although, if you're really good at platforming... No, I've, I've, seen, a, yeah, I've seen a few videos where people yeah. literally max up the timer. Like, it's getting to a very, very, like, awesome spot, like, really high yeah. up. And it takes all 30 seconds, and they use, like, all these, like, amazing wall jump, hat-throwing techniques, and then they get there, it's like, wow. Like, if anybody already starts running in slightly the off direct, like, the wrong direction, they already lost. My favorite videos are the ones where someone finds a balloon, gets the balloon, and they are in midair, centimeters from touching the balloon, and then the time runs out. Oh. Because, like, those are like, okay, that's gratifying if you're the guy that placed the balloon and you didn't glitch it. <laughs> like, to see someone come that close and be like, ha, I extended it a little further than you can. But well, also, there's funny and failure is funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, all that. They also said, I mean, the reward is just coins, huh? It's, yeah. But, but nonetheless, you know, it's more, I think it's more the thrill of the hunt than anything else. Yeah, but but like all that stuff, Balloon World, Doom, I think, DLC. I, I think after going through all the all the nooks and crannies of Mario Odyssey already, having to get the nine hundred ninety nine moons, yeah, it's already like it. yeah, it's like I don't want to go to any of those worlds again anytime soon. Like I've had to run through every polygon. And then just imagine how much frust- more frustrating it would be if you do go to the world, you know every nook and cranny, and then the balloon's behind the nook and behind the cranny and you can't get to yeah, it. Yeah, see, when you put it like that, it just doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, well, that's why they need to fix it. That's my whole point. But all that all that stuff, Balloon World, Doom, DLC, all that, that represents, I think, what is like trend number one that's popped up with the Switch this past year, which is, you know, just things are updating more than we've ever seen on Nintendo platform. It's kind of cool. Trend number two is one that is probably more familiar to everyone and um, more in your face. And that's something that only is going to keep ramping up further, ports. We're getting lots and lots of ports. Like, Switch seems to have done something that few other game systems 
have done and can do, which is make a game relevant again, regardless of when it first came out. Like, it's, I think it's just pro- it's probably, let's be realistic here, it's a value proposition of being able to take this one game you're used to playing on one thing, and now it's on the go with you somewhere else. So, it's how we're able to see Bayonetta 1 and 2 show up, it's why Skyrim did well, it's why Doom did well, it's why indies like Teslagrad, which came out on Wii U in like 2014, it's why they're now surfacing again on Switch. It's just, that value proposition is powerful. And um, what we're now seeing, which is perhaps problematic, perhaps not, well, time will tell, is this value proposition, the, the, the proposition shifting a little. Like, it, they're further ramping what they can get away with. Like, companies have tried different things, they've seen how old or how far back they can go um, with a game and I think perhaps they're now pushing it, I wouldn't say too far but they're definitely skiing into it's not guaranteed success territory most notably this past couple weeks was the release of Payday 2 it launched um, as Payday 2, that's how it was promoted and then just after it came out Starbreeze, the publisher, admitted it's actually a Payday 2 from last summer not a Payday 2 from current times so, I mean, it, pay, Payday's a weird game to begin with. Let me start there. It's been around for five years. It's morphed from being what started as like almost like a free-to-play freemium, like you pay in-game stuff to do stuff, monetization strategy, into a pay-ahead and they just get the game, sort of like a traditional game monetization strategy. And what Switch is now running is in many ways the most recent iteration of the game in that it's that newer monetization strategy, but it's just not the latest version of the game. So essentially, it's sitting um, an update called the Most Wanted pack. That was released last summer. On PS4 and Xbox One in November, they released the Master Plan pack for Hmm. Payday 2 on those systems. And then on PC, it's actually even further ahead. So Switch is like two versions behind, but it's being marketed as being just Payday 2 and current. Well, they're not actually saying current, but you know, they... You assume it's current if they don't say it's not, you know? So, Starbreeze said they had to lock in the version at last summer for the sake of getting the port done at a dec- in a decent amount of time. And they do plan to update the Switch version in the future. And to its credit, the port itself is supposedly pretty well done. It's by the guys at Sumo Digital. They made Snake Pass for Switch. They did uh, Sonic and... Uh, Don't hurt yourself. What, wow, Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform. There we go. Why is there no Sega in the name? Shouldn't it be Sonic and Sega All-Stars? No, it's just Sonic and All-Stars. They figured, it's like, yeah, such Sonic, a, it's, it's such Sonic a broken the, name, yeah. grammatically. But anyway, they did those games. Those are great. And apparently they handled the Switch version, like, quite well. They do quality work. It's just, you know, it's it's missing things. And it's kind of an interesting test case for the Switch as a result of, like, what are the trade-offs people will accept of a port for the sake of portability? Like, that's been the pitch for Switch for this entire first year is you get portability. You'll get an old game, but it's portable now. You'll get an old game. Maybe it'll throw in DLC, but it's portable now. And then here's a game where it's like, well, actually, it's not even the... We're, we're still making the game, but it's not that version of the game. It's this version of the game. So it's like just having a having Payday on a system that you can now take with you, is, even if you still mostly play it on a TV, just knowing you can take it with you, is that enough to excuse the game being late? Or like old compared to literally its counterpart. Like I mean, you sort of had an interest in the game, right? Yeah. Where, where, how old, do you feel? Yeah, because I mean, I feel like my mentality was like I had never played it for mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. So whether it's an old game or a new game doesn't shouldn't really affect me. Um, on top of that, it already. I mean, visually wise, I mean, it looks better than a lot of games on the Switch. Just because it's, it's like not quite a huge like AAA developer, but it's like somewhere in between. 
I mean, it's still better than a lot of indie games visually, but that's not really to blame the indie games for. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't look super dated and it doesn't look super modern, but I mean, it just looks fine. Like, Yeah, it looks fine and it, it plays fine and the yeah, port's supposed exactly. to be good. Like, like, there's no reason why <coughs> it feels... Yeah, why it's should just... feel bad? It's... I, it, it would... I guess I could see... Hmm. I don't know. I mean, especially because they said they're going to try to update it. It's not like if... What's kind of nice is you know what updates are coming because they're already out on other systems. You go, oh, it comes with that in the future? That's cool. That's, that's pretty much the the nice thing about it. Yeah. If it was like a situation like in another world where Bethesda's like, we're going to give you the first version of Skyrim, <laughs> the end of the DLC, and that's it. We've made 27 it. versions of Skyrim, and you get beta version zero. <laughs> or I guess it's kind of like how um, the Wii U got Injustice 1, but didn't even get all the characters, and they just yeah. kind of stopped, and then that was it. And I was yeah. like, oh, what about the rest of the characters? Like, oh, bye. And that was it. I think, I think the whole payday... Like, that's when it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole payday situation... It's To me, it's very similar to FIFA 18, which, when it came out on Switch in, like, what, September? It was stripped down from what the PS4 and Xbox versions had pretty significantly in a lot of ways. And yet it still sold pretty well. Like, in Japan, the Switch version of FIFA outsold the PS4 version. So people are just looking for some... In the case of Payday 2, if they're just looking for some, like, easy co-op bank heist on the go, you know, that common thing we're all looking for, um, then maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't matter if the game's missing some stuff right now or not. Like, it is enough of a game on its own to be fine, but there was a notable backlash on, like, Reddit and whatnot from people who were like, oh, but this isn't the real Payday 2. So, it, I'm sure in this case it probably will turn out okay, you know I mean, but it is kind of, they're, they're definitely coming up to that line. Where the value proposition may, like the the seesaw may tilt the other way against them, so no, I could definitely see it being an issue. Like, let's say I did play Payday and I was a big fan of it, but I just wanted to play it on mm-hmm. a TV versus my computer, then that would kind of kind of like Minecraft right now. Like, yeah, the let, Switch one's way behind. Like, well, not well, not well, way. Yeah, it's not way behind. It's actually catching up pretty okay. But it is behind. But the the multiplayer product we were promised that last summer, but they just kept delaying it. Same with Better Together. It's still not on Switch. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, the oh wow, yeah. It's funny because Better Together, even though I know it's called Better Together, I was thinking, oh, the graphic update. Even though it's called multiplayer mode, basically. But, yeah. Well, all that. Well, I mean, yeah. it has multiplayer with Switch to Switch, but yeah. I mean, I want to be able to play with people on computer. Not that it needed it, but it. I feel like Minecraft does. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just, I'm still waiting. Until then, it still feels like I have no reason to play Minecraft. Yeah, it's, it's, and that one, that one's almost a weirder situation because they sold it as a full game it was a full game and then Microsoft was like actually you know what it's no longer a full game and started stacking on features so I don't know like I don't know if the value proposition while it sucks for people who don't have the game yet and they're just sitting and waiting like you I don't know if someone bought Minecraft as advertised and then they're just waiting for the update I don't know if that's quite as bad as if you bought a game that was missing things from the get go Hmm. I mean it's still it's still a point like it still sucks for Minecraft folk but it's it's kind of a different scenario in a way, not necessarily a better one or a worse one, just a different one. So there's there's all these things going on, be it FIFA last fall, be it Payday now, be it Minecraft, where like developers and publishers are starting to see just how far they can go with getting something on Switch or getting away with playing something on Switch without certain features. And I'm sure the market will you know respond appropriately, and they'll either scale back some of those pushes or push further depending on what they get away with. So. I bet you year two is going to be a lot of, um, year two of Switch is going to be a lot of, like, this sort of, oh, but they left this out, but they put that in, but they did this, but they did that, and just kind of people figuring out what they can do. Because, 
you know, it's they're in it for the money. To your point earlier, that game should cost eight bucks. They're gonna find ways to cut corners if they can, at least with some ports of some games. So, so we'll see. I mean, it, it, to be fair, it's not every game by any means. I mean, it's always much easier to just sell the full game or more than the full game, which is um, exactly what some of the Japanese publishers are doing. Like Bandai Namco just announced that they're bringing over Naruto um, Shippuden, the Ultimate Ninja Storm trilogy. Which has been on PS4 and Xbox One and PC since I think last summer. And it's coming to Switch right now only in Japan and Europe. But it'll be an eShop only release in April. And it comes with the core trilogy of those fighters and all the DLC. And it's for the price of a single game. So it's like, that sounds like the right way to do a port, right? Like not... That's pretty cool. Especially that it comes with all three. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're actually fun games. Like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of that series. I really like the first one. Never had a chance to play the second one, but kind of kept up with it. Mm-hmm. And I bought the third one, but it was like little too little too late. Oh, uh, sure. Especially because like that. I mean, I yeah, I, I, I was like I'm a fan of Naruto. At least yeah, I never, um, I never got to finish it just because I ended up getting too busy and I couldn't. I think once I fell behind and then I looked at it again and I was like, wait, I'm like over 100 episodes behind. Yeah, I'm gonna need to just come back to it later. And then a decade later, I still haven't caught up to it. But, You're like me with everything. But <laughs> the nice thing about the Ninja Storm games is that there are, like, I mean, you kind of loosely keep up with what's going on in the show, but the the Ninja Storm games just give you, like, a nice abridged, action-y fighting game version of, yeah. of what the show is going to be on cliff the show. Notes. It's a playable cliff Yeah, notes. it's a playable cliff note, and, and I think that's really awesome. So to get the actual trilogy all in one package is really, really cool, and it makes me regret having bought that PS4 <laughs> or PS3 version. Cause I, never even, yeah, I think the third one's PS3. Yeah, because I never even touched it. So well, I might actually grab this one just so I could play through the story and not really focus too much on the multiplayer. And hey, take it from me, a guy who doesn't even watch Naruto, knows nothing about Naruto. Games are fun. I actually used to play the original Ninja Storm on PS2 with a friend in high school, and it was really fun. Like, this is total, This game is totally going to find an audience on Switch. Like, it caters exactly to people who would like Dragon Ball Z's Universe 2. It caters exactly to people who like all the... Um, anime infused games are already on the system all the jrpgs and whatnot like it's also just a really good game like a really solid fight fighter so i think it's gonna do pretty well for bandai namco and they're not like shortchanging anyone they're giving all three games in one which and all the dlc which is nice so so that that's a good example of like how you can properly do a port if you want to go even further and add more than what you would than what people would expect uh mega man Mm-hmm. So Mega Man Collection, Legacy Collection, was announced that it was announced like, I don't know, January, that we're getting Mega Man Legacy Collection one and Mega Man Legacy Collection two come to Switch. And me, being a normal person, assumed if they'd list them as two separate games, they are two separate releases. But instead Capcom's actually going the um they're going the Resident Evil route and they're combining them. So if you buy a physical copy, you will get Mega Man Legacy Collection 1 on the cartridge and 2 as a digital download, which means you're getting Mega Man 1 through 10 for a grand total of $40, which actually seems like a pretty decent value. If you choose to do digital, you get Mega Man Collection 1, Legacy Collection 1 at $20, uh, $15, Mega Man Legacy Collection 2 at $20. So you pay $5 more for physical. They throw in a cleaning cloth, their anniversary cleaning cloth to apparently make it worth your while. But like, this is the sort of thing. These games are somewhat old, especially. I mean, it's a comp, it's an old compilation of even older games. So, if Capcom were to try to push their luck with selling them individually at full MSRP, I don't know if anyone buy them for forty. But to do it like this, 
while I'm still not a big fan of only putting half your name, only putting half the game that's on the box on the cartridge is still kind of eh. But like at least they're making it a worthwhile port. Like that's kind of what's nice to see is when companies do more. You know, it's like Skyrim. It was a port of an old game on Switch, but they add the Zelda stuff and the Amiibo stuff to make it a little more enticing. Or Rocket League, they add the Nintendo items. So like combining games, doing the trilogy of Naruto, doing Mega Man like this, those to me count as the right way to like bring something to Switch. You know? Yeah. Like remember that um awesome time that um. I already forgot the name of that company because uh, was it Bethesda? I don't know. Whoever made um, Mass Effect when the same year it that they came was out with EA, the same year that they came out with the trilogy, yeah, they just gave the Wii U people Part Three because they, they yeah, why not? Like they clearly played Part One and Two, so let's just give them Part Three and let's give them like a like a hand drawn like comic booky like summary of the first two, but yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it was just, yeah, for the next hour. No, yeah, that was bad. Like, I don't know. I get sort of what EA was thinking. They probably started development on Mass Effect 3 for Wii U way before they decided to do Trilogy, and they were just like, well, this thing's not going to sell anyway. And they were right. It didn't because they put out Trilogy the same week. It's so dumb. But yeah, like, this is the right idea, what they're doing now. And it's not, you know, it's not, um, the best solution to these like it's not the best case scenario the whole like you get one game on the cartridge and one game you have to download and it is sadly becoming the norm i mean bayonetta one and two does it and that's nintendo themselves uh capcom does it or did it already with resident evil one and two resident evil uh revelations one and two but i would take that situation over games just missing or being overpriced or whatever any day like I'll I'll meet them halfway on this. That's fine. I hate the little SD card required banner on the top of game boxes. We've talked about this before. Like Nintendo's raking in tons of money. They could just swallow the cost of a more expensive cartridge, give it to a third party, get everything on the cart. But in terms of like value for your port, you can't argue that two games and the ability to take them on the go and only charging the price of one game is not a good deal, even if half of the game happens to only be store it on your flash memory while half the game's on the physical cartridge. So I guess it's like pick your battles, basically. But So I'll, I'll settle for this. That's fine. And I think this is the right approach over, you know, some other port moves that have been done. So I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> but, but I think as we enter year two of Switch, we're going to see developers, more generally speaking here, continue to experiment with, like, what sort of ports they can do, what they can get away with. Some will do right by Switch owners. Some won't do right by Switch owners. It's going to be the market that decides it, as I was saying before. But what'll be interesting is just how wide the port floodgates are going to open, because it seems like things are ramping up very quickly. It seems like we're going to get a lot of ports really fast. Because uh, Gamma Sutra, Gamma Sutra had an article. Mm, Gamma Sutra. Gamma Sutra. I, yep, I tripped on my word. Gamma Sutra had an article out recently discussing this whole port rush to Switch and. It really sounds like everyone wants to like jump in now. It really does. Like Panic Button, the guys that did Dune, the guys that did Rocket League on Switch. Um, yeah, didn't we just get Outlast? What? We got Outlast? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, sorry. I totally was thinking of something else when you said Outlast. I think we literally just did. Like, last We're week. thinking The Last of Us. Yeah, actually. I was like, wait. I was like, that, <laughs> that's that's Sony exclusive. No, I know. Yesterday, I, I told, I think, oh, I think Oba said, um, like, um, Outlast is on the Switch. And I'm like, yeah, we got it yesterday. And I'm like, like what? And then... I told him, yeah, the game with the camera. They're like, oh, 
And then like, that's not Last of Us. Yeah, and I thought, we think of The Last of Us. I'm like, yeah. Well, I'm glad everyone's making the same mistake. But yeah, it's so Panic Button does a lot of great ports, and then you know stuff like Outlast showing up. And in the case of Panic Button, aren't they Button, associated in some way with the Sonic Boom? Panic thing? Button? Yeah. Oh no, Big Red Button. That's I'm thinking, Big Red Button. Yeah. Don't you? Don't you dare! Uh, what's the what's the phrase? Associate? That, no, I was Compare. gonna say um. Give respect to the name or whatever it is. Turnish? God, I sound I sound old. No, there's like a thing on Twitter. It's like, uh, oh well, man, I've never felt so old manny than me. Like, hey, you know that meme the kids say? How's it goes about respect on my name or I don't know. Uh, it's lit, fam. Af. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel old right now. But point is, um, yeah, don't tarnish pant buttons reputation with with that Sonic Boom reference. God, I'm trying to. But no, they were saying in this interview that. Um, they're so in demand for their porting services because they do a really good job. All the stuff they put on Switch is great that they can actually now pick and choose which projects they want to work on. Usually a publisher will contact a porting house and be like, hey, we'll pay you. Do it. But now they can actually say, no, we don't want to do your game, which is kind of insane because that just shows how much attention you know, how much attention uh, the Switch is getting right now. In fact, um, PacBot says in addition to Wolfenstein 2 from, for Bethesda on the way, they have multiple unannounced games coming. Multiple. Plural. Multiple. Multiple. I mean, they're all ports, but still multiple. So, and that, that's separate even from what's going on in the indie community where there's also high demand for some quality ports. Um, a company called Bitworks, which really cuts teeth with ports of games like uh, Spelunker, they're now saying business is booming for them too, and Switch is great. So Spelunker. Spelunker? It's a game? You mean Spelunky? I do mean Spelunky. Oh, because I'm mixing up a Spelunker party. On oh, okay. Because I wasn't sure if you actually meant Spelunky. No, or... I meant Spelunker. Uh, yeah, I meant Spelunky. Are they going to port I'm... Spelunky? Because I would like to see that game get ported. I don't think they actually name draw. They, I don't think they. Said or is that game that like a Switch. Xbox exclusive? I don't know. I did mean Spelunky. You know, I made this exact same mistake when we last talked about Spelunker party on Switch. I was like Spelunky, <laughs> and you're like, nope. <laughs> so I'm, I, it, I'm just consistent, is what I am. But uh, second yeah. time you said that. That I'm consistent? Yeah. In this episode? Yeah. Yeah, it's called consistency. Uh, <laughs> but No, it's called being repetitive. Or consistent. <laughs> consistent sounds positive. Repetitive sounds negative. But, uh, yeah, it's just all these companies are bringing, you know, are bringing ports over now. And that's the thing about this whole port discussion, actually, is we kind of talked about it from the angle of major third parties. But with Spelunky and Bitworks, um, a lot of Switch's biggest indie games now are ports, too. I mean... There's nothing wrong with that at all, but look at something like Stardew Valley. That was on other systems before, and everyone freaked out when I came to Switch. Like, oh my god, finally. So we, we were always like, oh, ports, and we always think EA or Activision or whatever. But no, the indie games count as that too. And what's kind of interesting is it sort of spills into the third trend of the Switch in this first year, which um, is the idea that the Switch is just a huge indie machine. Like this whole value proposition of you can play this, but anywhere – like maybe applies more to the indie rush gold rush than it even does to major third party games it's just like so many indie games like so much more than i I think anyone probably imagined i mean i remember it's only a couple years ago we were here on the show talking about how can nintendo recruit indie developers they're doing stuff like the nintendo web framework and they got support for the unity engine coming down the pipe and that maybe that'll convince a few developers to come to nintendo maybe and now it's like the Switch is just totally inundated. It's like, it's insane how many games there are. Too many to count, too many to keep track of. And as we discussed before, as a result of all this, Switch is getting to that tipping point where games are going to get lost in the shuffle. Like in that same Game of Sutra article about the ports, one point was raised that 
at some level, this is going to be a bubble and the bubble is going to burst. Like every gold rush eventually is. So it's now about finding the right balance, giving good games the right exposure, you know, hoping the quality stuff just sort of sticks. Like, in fact, what, what's interesting is Nintendo was saying um, there's this interview with a Japanese gaming site and they were talking to the two leads of the indie outreach at Nintendo like Nintendo Japan, like the real guys that run the indie show for Nintendo. And they're saying in their mind, indie game, AAA third party game, it doesn't matter. Whatever is a big, whatever's like a quality product that is going to get people's attention, they will put front and center on the Switch. So on one hand, that's great for indies, but also that just makes it that much harder for the smaller indies to make their way up. Because yeah, Nintendo will spot your quality product if it's really good. But what if you're like a B tier game? You know, like a six buck, it's fun, but not gonna be the next greatest thing ever now you're not competing with just being put in the indie section you're the indie section and the third party section are really one big section and you're competing against everything so that that it's an interesting approach and it means we're good you know they're giving the indies more chance to shine but it also means some of the lesser indies might get buried even more so i don't know i mean to nintendo's credit they are trying new things they uh for a brief few days had reviews user reviews on nintendo.com for eShop games you're able to not only rate games from a, from a one to five star scale, but you can also leave a comment. You could add tags for traits, such as if a game is challenging or has great characters or things like that. And to me, at least, that seemed like a really great way to add granularity to game discovery on Switch, where it like really needs it. I mean, right now, you just got bestsellers and you got what Nintendo's curated highlights are. But if you could browse by highest user reviews or more specifically look for games that fall under certain user tags, like think of how much easier it could be to find a game that hasn't yet taken over the Nindy conversation, hasn't yet been able to go side by side with like FIFA, but it's still a really good game. Like those tags, if you're like, oh, I want like a narrative driven adventure, that could be a tag and then you get all the narrative driven adventures, you know? Or even better, what if you go into say, the end is nigh and at the bottom, of the listing it has like related games or games you may also enjoy and it's just generated by these user tags and there's celeste and there's super meat boy and there's super meat boy forever and like all these games that are like oh that's totally my subgenre i love that and you just buy them all like none of that exists right now you know oh the subgenre so you uh, well that i was <laughs> yep totally my subgenre. it's actually yours obviously but i <laughs> uh, yeah I, I was a hypothetical person named angel at that particular moment it was it's called acting um that's what that was but yeah that, that subgenre is totally not me at all but um, yeah the point is like it's a really cool opportunity and it's funny because nintendo does this sort of thing on the play nintendo website like the kid-friendly nintendo website you can browse by game for games by character like that's actually a whole sorting option it's like mario games or games with mario in them or like link games or pikachu games so if they just sort of took that idea and just expanded it out be great be a great way to find new games that would be a great way to find new games. Unfortunately, the review system's gone again. It's replaced with a little note on every single page that just says, thanks for trying it, we're reevaluating. we don't know when it'll be back. And it's like, well, that's great. So yeah. I, I, I think they're concerned that people are going to review bomb and they'll just be like, you know, all that negative well, activity I around mean, it. You're but never going to get away around that. I mean, you're not. the thing is that, I don't know, like you, if you're, if you're going to have either reviews of any kind, you're going to get review bombed in some way. Mm-hmm. But you have to hope that, or you're going to have to trust that if you have enough people reviewing that the positive reviews or the good reviews that actually are well-earned will outweigh those bombings. Which usually the, does. Yeah, which usually does. Like, no matter what, even on Steam, like, games that actually deserve to get well-reviewed usually do rise to the top and usually do get noticed yeah. in the thousands of thousands of games that come out every month. Yeah. So, I mean, if Steam could survive, then 
I mean, I don't see how the Switch couldn't, especially with like how how much people seem, at least from what just like anecdotally seems like the Switch community seems pretty, um, I don't know, engaged, pretty engaged and pretty friendly. I was trying to think of just like the opposite word of toxic because you know how toxic. Except it, those people that hide the balloons in Mario Odyssey behind the wall. So Screw them. What would be the term for that? Because you know, how, like when <laughs> yeah, people talk about toxic. Yeah, because I mean, toxic um, community is like a common terminology for that. Uh, a fruit. Uh, to- uh, to- toxic free, BPA free water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It's uh, uh, what's the opposite of it's toxic? It's a healthy community. There it is, healthy. If that probably is the term, but not in this. I mean, it sort of works. It's not exactly opposite of toxic, but it, yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it will work out. We, I mean, yeah. it. I mean, it worked on the 3ds, right? So, well, there's so much less on the 3ds. I mean, there were like five, like star ratings. Yeah, but you couldn't there. write anything. No, I know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, star ratings worked out. So they've done stuff like this before. You're right. I think the difference is now they're like, you, oh, you can even tag things. They even had little tags yeah, like, this is hard. This is easy. This is fun for beginners. It's fun for experience. Oh yeah, that, that, yeah we you had that too. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. We had I, that I like so this that. would just be an expansion of that. But yeah, I think the 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 thing they're trying to maybe maybe they bring it back without this for now. Just so people can get ratings in is just that stuff, and then they bring back the written comments later, like the actual review. I mean, I don't know how hard it would be, but I mean, maybe something like how Metacritic has like a user review score and then a, I guess, critic review score. But would Nintendo want to put a critic review score if a game's not doing that well? Critically, that's well, the that's the developer's fault. They should have thought of that before sure, they put but, out a but, product. But then, that it, but then, is Nintendo actively? Hurting the game's chances by like culling together all of the like IGN gave it a two and Giant Bomb gave it a one and you know what I mean like it, there's this whole thing in Hollywood right now with Rotten Tomatoes where it's just like do they help or hurt movies and studios are like backlashing against Rotten Tomatoes and everything and and I'm just looking at our sound thing right now and I noticed when I said backlash I really spiked <laughs> on that B I was like backlash but um yeah like there's this whole thing going on in Hollywood I can't see Nintendo why to put themselves in the middle of that on Switch. So maybe not Craig score, but yeah, they offer a user thing and just somehow balance it or make it very clear that this is user reviews. I don't know. But it, I mean, I think for the time being, if they just put it back without the review comment section, that'd be a good start. And then they could add the comments later or something, but we'll see what they do. I mean, it's indefinite right now, which means it could be months before they do it. It could be days. Who knows? It's literally, there's like, we don't know. So time will tell. In the meantime, the eShop continues to like runneth over with interesting games. Um, a lot of the big ones are known, but when poking around the eShop this past couple of weeks, we, you and I, started to realize there's some really interesting, unique stuff that doesn't seem to be getting much attention at all, if any attention. So before we get to what we're playing, which is normally the final segment of the show, we thought we'd highlight a few of those lesser-known eShop games that are probably worth keeping an eye on. I mean, after all, if no one's talking about them, how's anyone going to play them or even consider playing them? So... Two of us, Angel and I, made lists of games that caught our eyes, and we thought we'd do kind of a little tag team back and forth here, um, discussing them. I mean, the games aren't like all these games aren't out yet, so there isn't a I lot of info to go might on. Come out on Thursday, but all, we all, have all, not played them. These the are games, more previews. Not all the previews. games I played haven't come out yet. Mine have because I'm I don't follow instructions correctly apparently. But I mean, not that there were any specific ones. These are just games yeah. that, yeah, like as you said, have, have kind of flown under the radar, and they just caught our attention. And, yeah, so and the, this is why they caught our and attention. And they may be good, they may be bad, but all we're saying, yeah, exactly. Is, for all we know, like everything we say could be completely false. Yeah. but at least their marketing got us. Yeah, all, all we're trying to say is, while everyone focuses, <laughs> they on, sure duped us. Yeah, well, everyone focuses on game X Y Z. We're like, hey, there's also game Q T and 
and F over here. I I am struggling with my alphabet. Think before you speak. Yeah, but if I did that, there'd be so much dead air. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the first on the list, I guess I'll just jump in with my. Well, this one's actually on both of our lists, but I guess I can. As the as the Star Fox connoisseur of the podcast, I feel like I'm gonna... so Manicor Manicor Galaxy on okay, fire. Okay, I'm not is, going to. <laughs> like when you look at it, it does not really look like an indie game. Like a lot of the visuals just look like, damn, this looks. Well, like so a... so the weird thing about Manicor is it's actually published by Deep Silver, who is not an indie, but it's made by Deep a sm- Silver, the people that with... just got bought by THQ Nordic, the people that published well, Mighty Number no. Nine. Yes. The people responsible for that commercial about yes. better than some, an anime fan on a prom date? Yes. You could also say it's the people behind um, that game on the island where everyone's dead. Dead Island. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you could say I couldn't tell if you were joking. No, I, I was serious for a second. You also could say they're behind Dead Island. You could say they're behind other titles that it's are hard to say any of that when mighty number no. nine is attached to them now keep in mind they just offered to publish it based i know on the yeah buzz. uh but yeah so it's it the developers oh. are a small team the publisher is a big publisher so it's kind of in this weird in between i know no, no one can blame yeah. them i mean everyone was fooled oh even me i picked that for me i i thought through it yeah good for you yeah i'm proud of you i'm not dumb i am anyway so talk about uh manicor you're saying that looks good I guess yeah. I could continue. It does look good. Yeah, it, um, good. yeah it, it, I mean, that's what caught my attention. I'm like, whoa, this looks like a, it, like Star Fox Assault spiritual sequel. It's like Star Fox Assault meets kind of some elements of Rogue Squadron and thematically at least. Like you, I was reading up on it and watching some videos and you play as a member of a crew that has to investigate this strange event called the Shattering. And you then spend about eight hours. The game's about eight hours long flying through 35 different locations. There's over 30 bosses. You're going up against space pirates and mercenary crews, and it's all very Star Fox Assault looking, like you were saying. It's all kind of on rails. Um, but you have, instead of furry animal people, you have humans talking to one another. So that kind of has more of a Star Wars E Rogue Squadron vibe. And, uh, I mean, for me, it had me at Star Fox style space shooter. But what I find more interesting than just that is the more I read about it, um, the developers are really trying to cater to Switch. Like, this game already exists on smartphones. It's a free-to-play title currently, but for Switch, they're pivoting it to a full $20 purchase. So to justify that, and just make the game kind of a more natural fit on a real, like, home console, they're doing things like revamping the ship upgrades to tie in with story progress. They're including multiple difficulty levels. They made the world map completely open-ended so you can jump around as you see fit to go do upgrades to your ship and whatnot instead of just having to follow, you know, un- pay this to unlock that or whatever. They are adding, there's this thing where you can revisit locations to do like an explore mode that's being put in there. It might already exist, but they're tweaking it. Uh, they're adding HD rumble support. They redid the HUD completely to make better use of the Switch. It's going to run at 1080p, 60 frames per second docked, 720p, 60 frames per second in handheld mode. So it's actually being catered to Switch's hardware specifically. And given how good it looks, that's actually all very impressive. Like the game graphically looks really good. So, all that laundry list of stuff I just said is what kind of caught my eye beyond just, oh, it's Star Fox, but not. Because you can have a free-to-play Star Fox, but not on your phone and have it be whatever. But in the case of Manicore Galaxy on Fire, it looks like they're really putting an effort to make it a native-feeling experience on Switch, which is really cool. And it's also really cool that it's out on, like, in two weeks. It's out on the 22nd. Three weeks. 22nd March. Hmm. So, I don't know... If it will be good, but I'm excited to learn more. I'm excited to try it. So, yeah, March 22nd. Yeah. For the closest we're going to get to Star Fox on Switch for a foreseeable future. 
And uh, it's sort like of, another um, fast racing league. That was close. We're gonna get to a zero in the for well, now, well, probably forever. Well, there's one game I'll talk about in a little bit. Actually, that might be kind of close. I guess I could just talk about it now. Now I'll talk about it. Yeah, later. You do it now. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we already did the we already did the transition. You're yeah. right. The transition that threw off my other transition. How dare you? But yeah, the other game that caught my eye, which is kind of like the you know the F zero equivalent, is um, called Trailblazers. And instead of just being like, oh, it's like F-Zero, it's like, well, okay, it's F-Zero, but what if it's also Splatoon? And that's oh, kind on. of interesting. I will go on. So basically how it works is like this. You have two teams of three racers racing against each other. Yes, three, just like Splatoon. And along with simply just going down the track, you actually will be laying down paint. And that paint, as you lay it down as you race, uh, as you can maybe guess, will act as a speed boost for you and your teammate, teammates on the subsequent two laps. So you may want to cover as much of a straightaway as possible on your color, so you can just boost right through it. You may want to hit just the right part of a turn, so you boost coming out of the turn, or your teammate boost coming out of the turn. And you also can paint over your opponent's color to take away their boosts, so when they come around on the next lap, the boosts aren't there anymore. It's really a neat riff on the typical like futuristic racing concept, and it's just nice to see that in addition to having that cool paint mechanic, the developers are actually making like a full-fledged traditional sci-fi futuristic racer behind it like it's gonna have online multiplayer it's gonna have local multiplayer it's gonna have split screen online multiplayer so you can do local with a friend online it'll have a full story mode that's gonna have a whole cast of f-zero-esque characters that are some are humans some are robots some are animals uh it's gonna have different vehicles each have unique handling it's gonna have the characters have different traits so in a queue that's kind of like from i guess overwatch or team fortress 2 Depending on the character you pick, some may be better for boosting, some may be better for uh, painting, some may be better at top speed, and you're going to want a team that balances all that so you, your team wins the race. You need you know that combo to outdo the combo of the other team. So it's actually strategy in your team building. And it's just it just sounds really cool, and it's from like developers that have a pretty good pedigree. It's, it's a company called Super Gronk. <laughs> that's what they're called. And <laughs> the studio is comprised of ex-Codemaster developers. That's the company behind Dirt the off-road rally game it's by people that used to work at bizarre creations the guys who made project gotham racing on xbox back in the day and it has some people from lionhead who did black and white so the world design certainly gotta look interesting if nothing else so that's a lot of people that know how to do racing games and make cool worlds and to combine that with kind of this platoon-esque angle and to combine that with the idea of team racing opposed to individual racing it's a really cool combo it's really different like it's still very much a futuristic racer but it's also very much its own thing and it's out this spring which is rather soon so i'm absolutely keeping my eye on this one like i wanted originally to get red out back when it was first announced for switch as like the futuristic racer that i was gonna get like i have fast racing on uh my wii u i could just get red out on my switch it'll be perfect but i don't know red out's been delayed forever and then out you know here comes trailblazers which just sounds significantly cooler in a lot of ways so Nothing gets read out, but this is just so much more unique. So I suspect I'm going to end up picking this up. It sounds really cool. Agreed. Yeah, and it's being, in Europe at least, published by Rising Star Games. I don't know who's doing it here in the States, but, you know, it's it's kind of like Super Gronk is a kind of uh, indie developer, it sounds like, made up of a bunch of people from big companies that know what they're doing, so it should be cool. Um, I guess, you know, I'm just going to throw this in here just to bring a nice little closure. We're going to tag team. I'm just plowing through just to bring some closure because we're talking about sci-fi games that remind us remind us of nintendo's own sci-fi games so i might as well just throw in damascus gear operation tokyo 
which uh, it actually came out a couple days ago. I have not played it, but I did want to highlight it real quick because it reminds me so much of Custom Robo, and I love Custom Robo. This one, however, isn't comes from uh, Arc System Works instead of Nintendo and the Custom Robo people. I forgot who made it. ND Cube, maybe? But, um, yeah, it sort of blends Custom Robo's concept with something like Gauntlet. So, like, in Custom Robo, there are two parts to the game. There's arena-based combat where you basically duke it out with custom-made robots, and then there's this RPG-like element to it where you went and explored and collect parts and collected things and then built out your robots to go take them back into battle. Damascus seems to sort of tear down that divide between the two, and it lets you just fight and explore as your robot all in one place all at one time. So the robot customization still seems to be rather key. Um, there's something like 460 parts available, and you're just not separating the world so when you're done fighting as your robot you just walk over and pick up some parts or you do whatever and you have a party of peop- of robots together and it's kind of gauntlet in that regard which you know is fine since nintendo's probably not making a new custom robo anytime soon so at least this is like a half step in that direction and it's only 15 bucks and i've heard it's a bit short but like it could totally scratch the custom robo itch so based on our views i may check it out it's been now a few days i don't know but uh did you, did you ever play custom robo no i just never really it either never really caught my attention or just it was always out when something else that did catch my attention was out. So, I mean, they only had two. Yeah. They had the GameCube one and then they had the DS one, Custom Robo Arena. The GameCube one, I was kind of like, this could be interesting. And then Nintendo sent me it, sort of. Did I ever tell, talk about this on the show? I don't remember. You definitely have. Have I? Where they yeah. sent, uh, I basically beta tested, but not really because they just sent me a public demo, but then with like concept art. Anyway, yeah, so that's what really exposed me to it was that, where they sent me a pseudo-beta te- beta test. And then, like, Arena was shockingly good on DS. Like, it was actually a really good game. So, I it didn't sell particularly great, so I don't expect Customer to come back anytime soon. It's been almost 10 years since the last one. I think it... No, wait. Yeah, I think it came out, like, 2009, so it's been, like, 10 years almost. But, yeah, Damascus Gear seems to maybe potentially, hopefully, cater to that a little. So, so we'll see. On the other hand, if you want something totally unique, something that isn't at all like a Nintendo franchise that you already know and love, maybe you should look at uh, a way journey to the unexpected, which I knew nothing about, and then you stuck on the list, and it looks insane. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to... Yeah, that's kind of what first drew me into it, was just the way it looks, which insane is a nice way to put it. Because, I don't know, it looks like a weird mix of CG and 2D. I don't know, everything looks really fast. It's just really cartoony. All the characters look like they came out of like a wacky cartoon mm-hmm. and besides it being like advertised as a first person shooter because they call it an fps a feel good first person shooter yeah like all you, all you see the character doing in the video at least like i don't know how far into the game it is but they're just whacking things with a stick or blocking things but i mean besides just looking just looking like just running around a 3d space avoiding wacky looking enemies um it has kind of like a persona twist to it where every or i guess you yeah, more Persona. Where and every enemy you encounter or character you encounter, apparently if you talk to them the right way or do certain actions the right way, they could join your party, which apparently I guess you have a party. So now I'm just wondering, wait, so how does this first-person combat game ha- have like a party system? So this is a lot of, I guess, questions that I have that I'm just curious about Like once the game comes out. And I mean, that's... It yeah. strikes me as so weird that they keep calling it an FPS. Like, I'm looking at the, the fact sheet for it. This game's been known for a year, but no one really talks about it. Like, it was in the Nindy Showcase a year ago or shortly thereafter, and it's like, oh, that looks crazy and weird. And then there's just been nothing since for a solid year. And now just, like, reading it over, it's like, okay, 
So I call it a first-person shooter, but it has roguelike elements. And you hit things with a stick, you don't shoot things with a gun. This, to me, is a first-person dungeon crawl. This is Etrian Odyssey, but, like, in HD, and maybe a little more Minecrafty in controls. Like, I don't know why they're marketing it as an FPS, but that said, it yeah, looks things do. I mean, things cool. shoot stuff at you, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's... I mean, maybe, maybe it's, they're calling it FPS because it is a first-person shooter in that, like Etrian Odyssey, you walk first person, then you go into turn-based battles. That's how Dungeon Cards used to be. So maybe the fact that you don't have turn-based and it's just full-on real-time battles where you just whack people with know, a I, stick, or maybe yeah. you throw a spear at a later. Point. I mean, I guess they. I don't know. I guess we don't really have a like a basic term for just a first-person perspective. First-person game. adventure is what Nintendo tried so hard to label Metroid Prime, and everyone's like, "Nah, it's nah, a shooter, it's bro." A shooter. It's a shooter. <laughs> See. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's more like an adventure game. But I mean, that's why you have to go like it's a first-person shooter, but it's more arcadey or it's yeah, more yeah, down. It's a Call of Duty. This one looks like yeah, it's more on the adventure side, especially because you're either recruiting these monsters or you're killing them. And I do like how it's like they, you know, I kind of poked on this before, but it's a feel-good FPS. Like they highlight multiple times. It's refreshing and funny. It has colorful visuals. Yeah, I don't know something like about it's quirky it. characters. It just. It's I mean, so different from a normal I mean, if, it, if they didn't throw in, like, an anime-inspired-looking cutscene at the beginning of the trailer, I would have thought that this game kind of gave me more of an Earthbound, like, feel to it, especially just because of yeah. the wacky characters and the fact that you're beating things with a stick in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, which for a first-person anything, doing, like, an Earthbound-style game versus something more, like, dark and gritty and brown is, like, kind of nice. Like, it's not muddy like most first-person games. It's not sci-fi like a lot of first-person games. It's really its own... Crazy beats. If anything, it maybe has some Minecraft style vibes, but even then, not really. It's way more wacky. Yeah, definitely more wacky. And just want to look at because I mean, it's definitely not like any other game on the Switch right now. Which yeah, definitely, definitely not, says a lot. not at all. And we still, don't, I don't believe we have a release date for it. I am checking right now. Yeah, I was just on this page, but I actually missed that. I uh, yeah, I uh, it's funny because I wrote down all these, and okay, it's apparently coming Q one, so. Q1 ends in three weeks, so let's be realistic. It's not coming in Q1. Hmm. I mean, maybe, but I doubt it. But it'll cost 20 bucks whenever it does come out. At least well, as of now, that's the placeholder price. So, well, yeah, it looks cool. Well, if we're going down our handy-dandy list here... Yeah, I guess what you the, got next? I guess the next game that caught my eye was Castle of Heart, just because I have a, as Jason pointed out, my, my type of subgenre is platformers, and this one, which apparently is a Switch exclusive, yeah. um, is a, it's just a tough platformer. Like a tough platformer, like they harken back to the old days when they were hard, which is always great. Like Ghosts and Goblins level? Yeah, th- this one definitely sounds a lot more like Ghosts and Goblins. I mean, for one, you're playing as a knight, uh-huh. which is cursed. Well, Arthur wasn't cursed in Ghosts and Goblins, but this but he knight... did lose his armor and have to run around in his underwear, which yeah. is kind of a curse of it in and of itself. Well, yeah, that's just how they... I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, this arm, uh, this knight, yeah, this knight is cursed. He's apparently turned into stone. Mm-hmm. But the hook of this game, which I thought was really interesting... Well, I mean, besides just getting new weapons and armor... Um, the stone does play a factor into it in the fact that um, you have an energy meter that starts to deplete every once in a while. I'm not sure. It's not really clear if it depletes every time you get hit by an enemy or if it's just always constantly de- or if it's just constantly depleting and you have but you refill it by defeating enemies and taking their energy. But if you take enough damage you can lose one of your limbs as they say permanently and that affects... So it's like Dark Souls but a 2D platformer? Well, you don't lose limbs in Dark Souls permanently. Oh, that's true. You're, you're thinking there is a game by... Yeah, not say Suda51. Yeah. Where there's a game where like you could, like, you lose your arms, you lose your legs, and then eventually you could just play as a head. 
But this game essentially, like, if you lose, like, your right arm, then you're no longer able to wield dual-handed weapons. Or if you lose both arms, maybe you just can't even use weapons. I'm not sure so how taking... exactly it's going to play out, but this, this sounds really cool. It sounds like a new twist on... It's like in like, Fire Emblem when if you lose a party member. Well, now it's an option, but in old Fire Emblem, if you lose a party member, they're gone forever. If you lose your arm, it's gone. Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, if this indeed is going to be permanent, is it going to be permanent for the rest of the level? Like, maybe, or maybe it's, like, for the rest of the chapter. It says there are 20, like, sections of the game, so mm-hmm. is every section divided into sub-levels and you lose the limb for the entirety of those sub-levels and you get it back? Or is it actually, oh, man, I did horrible in that tutorial level and I lost all but my what I barely need to play. Am I just stuck like that for the rest of the Do game? Do you realize if I was playing this game that I would just be a torso with nothing attached to it for by like level two? That's why I'm curious to see <laughs> like how bad can things go in the beginning, and are you forced to play with those parameters for the rest of the game? It's a really interesting twist because like I watched. The I mean, trailer. if it is that, if that's the case, that sounds pretty cool. It, it almost sounds like a like a hardcore survival mode from the get go. Like that's just the default setting yeah. of the game. Because usually survival modes are like when you die, you start over completely. Like there's right. no like handholding. Yeah, because so, I I watched the trailer and one thing that jumped out at me, which this feeds into nicely, is just like it has that vibe of like a '90s platformer, but it's just so much like more mature, like darker. Like I don't know what it's like. It feel you know it looks like the same platformers type of game grew up. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's like the same gameplay, but with the stone knight mechanic, I guess. But like visually, even it doesn't feel like a platformer in the traditional sense because they're usually still. Especially indie ones, they still kind of stick to a similar art style. Like, there'll be, you know, there's a lot of, like, oh, adult, moody, dark platformers, indie platformers that are all just, like, abstract. Like, that's how they make it darky movies. They do, like, oh, we made it in pastels. And the teardrops that you see falling from the sky represent the sadness the character feels. It's like, okay, but this one actually looks, like, like medieval, like... And it's fully 3D and rendered and everything, so it's it's a different approach. It's, yeah, it it's, kind, of, it's kind of nice. It stands out. It's only, like, 15 bucks when it comes out, too. Which, by the way, is like in two weeks, March twenty third, same day as uh, 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 I'll get there. Same day as uh, Manticore. <laughs> I just scroll up the list because I forgot what it's called. See, this is the problem. We don't know these games named off the top of our head because no one talks about them, which is why we are. So, um, but yeah, I guess I guess to keep the whiplash of who's talking about what game and having jump genres going, I guess should I jump back in with my next one and then we'll wrap with your two? Yeah, let's do that. I don't see why not. Okay, so next on the list for me is wait, a I game. have two left and you only have one. Yes. Yes. Yes, I think you had one more than me on the list. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Well, your last two are Actually, yeah, the last thematically two are... similar yeah, with gonna... the one I'm about to mention. Yeah, which I, I, I was going to kind of talk about them together. So. Yeah, 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 that's why I... Yeah. Anyway, to keep the whiplash going, as I was saying, uh, next on my list is a game called A Normal Lost Phone, which is about finding a random dude's phone. Like, that's literally the whole game. It's presented as the interface of his device, and you get to completely invade his privacy by reading his text messages, browsing his photos, using his apps. And over the course of this, you start to learn who they are, what they're about, and why they, you know, no longer have their phone. I mean, I feel like if I found a phone on the street, I probably wouldn't just start using it. I first would need to figure out how to unlock it, but for the sake of the game, let's run with it. Sure. Um, it's, it's just kind of a neat... What really is, it's just kind of a neat take on, like, the narrative puzzle subgenre. Like... There's been games in the past on smartphones that conceptually are quite similar, but usually a little more structured. Uh, like there's this really great Mr. Robot game for iOS and Android where you essentially are facilitating social hacking of people. And it's all done through a pseudo phone interface where you need to text people, email things, that sort of thing. But what a normal lost phone seems to do, while similar to that, is um, 
it's not structurally as linear. You can jump in out of apps as you see fit. You can learn things. Like, as you go into the apps, they'll trigger events that trigger things, but you aren't... It's not like in the some of the other games like Mr. Robot where it's like, I need you to now send this attachment to this person. You're like, okay, and you go do it, which, which was really fun. I love that game, but this is almost like an open-ended phone exploration adventure or something. I don't know how better call it. Uh, so that's kind of interesting to me. And the other thing that's kind of neat about it is you can actually play the game with your Switch held vertically as if it's a giant phone if you really want me. <laughs> or an iPad mini, I guess. Or an iPad mini. Or, or you can hold it landscape and it'll work too. But it supports HD rumble, which I imagine is for the phone vibrations and whatnot. But still, kind of, not very many games let you play it in vertical, so it's kind of, kind of a cool idea. Well, it's like when Brain Age did it. It's like when Brain Age did it, or like, I think on Switch, Namco Museum does it on Switch currently, so you can like simulate an arcade cabinet. But still, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, from what I've seen online about the other versions of a normal lost phone, the game does have high reviews, so it is good. But interestingly, it actually wades into some pretty hev- heavy like social and gender issues and gender identification and whatnot. So I don't know plot-wise what people should expect in terms of the narrative or what you know if they want to venture down that path of that sort of thing. But conceptually, it is a very cool idea. And it's only six bucks, so it seems like something we're checking out just to try the novel concept of a six-inch tall phone that isn't actually a phone. But it's someone else's phone, but isn't really a phone because it's a game. It's a Galaxy Note. It's a Galaxy Note. It's a phablet. It's a, it's a phablet. But yeah, so that that um that's a normal lost phone. It just I just like the idea of like a game set in a device that basically resembles the thing that the game's set in. It's just it's kind of a cool concept. So, but it does pave the way nicely to your final two games, which are also narrative puzzle adventures of sorts. Um, I don't know which one you want to talk about. Yeah, first. so I mean, I'm gonna kind of talk about them. Sort of. yeah, yeah. So Metropolis, Lux, Obscura, and The Long Reach. So they're both, yeah, just um narrative-driven games. They're more about the story than the action or the mm-hmm. platforming, because mm-hmm. there is no platform actually in one of them. So the Metropolis, Lux, Obscura is that one's more like a graphic novel. If anything, it's it's mainly through, told through stills, through dialogue, and you're reading and you're making decisions. But its name is also a Madlib answer gone wrong. <laughs> but the but the hook of Obscura, right? What I thought was interesting is that it's clashing together two completely different genres that I wouldn't have expected. Like, I mean, you have like games like Professor Layton, where you have like puzzles married with a graphic novel mystery. Which, all right, that makes sense because mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of drives the point home that you're just like brain teasers. Yeah, it's all yeah. brain teasers. Yeah, or like Ace Attorney. Right. But this one, you're they're jamming together like the puzzle league games, like the match three, like bejeweled type of games with yep. a very i don't know gritty m-rated plot one of the bullet points on strippers and is, yeah know. one of the bullet points on this page is it has obscenity and sexism as a highlight of the game obscenity and sexism so there's your grit <laughs> yeah i just had to point that out <laughs> no, yeah it's just yeah it just really stood out like huh that's definitely yeah just, yeah just the fact that it's like on this spectrum on yeah, that end of the spectrum on the m-ratedness and it's also a match three puzzler and yeah. it's also a graphic <laughs> yeah. novel. Like it's just like three things that, well, I guess two of those usually go together, but the match three puzzle kind of throws it for a loop. Yeah. But the match three puzzle is kind of interesting. It's, it kind of reminds me more of, um, puzzle fighter. If you've ever played one of those games oh, where the street fire spell, yeah, it's the on street... cell phones again. They brought it back. From yeah. Where essentially like every time you match three of a color, you do an attack. If you carefully plan out your block so that you create a giant block, you do an even bigger attack. And this one, it's more about, you have attacking blocks, and you have healing blocks, and you have utility blocks. So if you match your attacking blocks, you do you attack your opponent, your enemy, and if you match the 
like the health blocks and you heal yourself. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting, and I don't know. It could be a really fun game. It's just different and unique, and definitely from what I can tell, this hasn't really been in another game that's where there's been like nothing really like this in tone and um, yeah, I mean, how many aesthetic, game- especially on the Switch. How many so. games have twelve mental disorders and bad habits to unlock as a feature? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and there's four different endings. But reminder, there's also obscenity and sexism. Uh, it's basically yeah. the, um, it's basically what happened when Henry's Hatsworth, if you remember that game, like went conquers bad fur day on everyone. Basically. Like, like that one was the same kind of idea. Well, that was a platformer mixed with a puzzle game. This yeah. is a, but still, it's like the mashup is still there. Um, it's only the, the interesting thing about this one is it's not much of a gamble to try out. It's only eight bucks. Comes out April fourth, so about a month. Yeah. So. And um and the long reach, it's also like a gritty, like set in the real world where everything could go wrong. That's like how they described it. And but it doesn't come with twelve mental disorders and bad habits to unlock, nor does it have obscenity and sexism. Yeah, this one like um it's done in a very like kind of gritty, like pixelated art style that kind of reminds me of Lone Survivor. I think that's like also what they were comparing it to, which is a uh-huh. zombie post apocalyptic game where you're some dude. You definitely weren't the lone survivor. And when I went out, there was definitely more than one survivor. That's like the fake out of uh, Last Man on Earth on Fox, where it's like Last Man on Earth, but halfway through the episode, it's like, nope, there's another person. And then by the next episode, they're like, oh, there's six people. Okay, and then it just becomes like a sitcom, like a normal sitcom. Oh, that's... it's like The Office, but post-apocalyptic. I mean, not really. is he at least the last man? No, <laughs> there's other men. One, two, three. All right. Well, this game is, um, it plays more like, um, what are those, what's the name of that dude called, um, Tim Schafer? Yeah, oh, you're talking, oh, like his point-and-click adventures, like yeah, Weed Park and all that? Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like Tim that. Yeah. Or, no, not Tim Schafer, that's, um, Tim Schafer does Psychonauts. You're thinking of Google. Double Fine, it's a Double Fine people. Oh, so it is like Psychonauts, so it is like Tim Schafer, oh, so not Thimbleweed Park. No, no, never mind. I, I guess it is Thimbleweed Park. What, what am I? Did he work with someone else? I'm, I'm on it. I'm anyway, on well, well, I'm googling. The well, point is, if you don't know what those are, um, this doesn't help any. <laughs> I know, yeah, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't help any. But essentially, it plays like a game where you're just walking around, you're collecting different. Okay, what is it? I raised my hand for those who couldn't see. Ron Gilbert. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed that. So and Gary Winnick. Oh yeah, so the people that made like Monkey Island, Day of the Squid, or Day, Day, yeah. Day of the Tentacle, yeah. and those kind of games. Yeah. Haunted Mansion, Manic Mansion, Manic Mansion. Yeah. Yeah, so, Arts games. Yeah, so those games are, and this game, you're going around like you collect like a like a bottle or something, or like different like what appear to be random items. Then you have to interact with the environment uh-huh. to solve like environmental puzzles. But I guess what kind of makes this one tense is that you could be attacked at any point. So while you're trying to solve a puzzle, you might get attacked by someone that's psychotic and is running at you with like a pipe or something. You oh, have to like run zombie. away. It's like zombie you. Except, like zombie, except no one's a zombie. And it's all like... But I mean, except for like, while you do one thing, they'll throw enemies at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, a cool concept that not enough games do. Yeah, so it sounds cool. And I mean, I would like actually a port of Lone Survivor, just because I thought that game's like, ambiance was cool. And this uh-huh. game kind of seems to follow that through where it just has a really uneasy tone that's just kind of interesting. And for some reason, that pixelated, pixelated art and uneasy dark themes just kind of go well they just kind of get amplified which is really weird if you think about it. i mean i guess it makes sense because there's so little focus on it yeah it, bring out the dark yeah it, it leaves a lot to the imagination yeah. so it's not like i mean if you can't make the visuals like super great because you can't afford to then go with this art style which i think seems to achieve the same results and sometimes i would argue even better because mm-hmm. because it's you are leaving it up to your imagination you're probably making it scarier than 
they probably could have ever imagined to do it if they actually gave you exactly how the faces looked. Mm, yeah. So. Yeah. And that one, just because I seem to be the one doing the bookkeeping, that one's out for $15 on March 15th. <laughs> so next week. Actually, yeah, it'll be out by our next episode. So I hope you guys listen to this between March 4th and 14th or else you're hearing about games already out. Although I did that twice already. Told about Talk about games that are out. So. But yeah, those are just five, six, seven. Those are a number to be determined of uh, Nindies that we thought were just worth, you know, batting an eye at for a minute because there's so much going on on the Switch and it'll continue to ramp up. So we have to draw some attention to some of the, the little guys or the ones that maybe didn't get on your radar. Mm-hmm. That Sticking show. out for the little guys. Looking out for the little guys. Um, but with that, I guess we'll actually, I feel like all the games we're talking that we've been playing these last few weeks also are kind of the little guys. Not like super little, but they're not, you know, no, there's nothing mainstream here or nothing like big publisher here. It's all kind of yeah. indie and indie. Well, so, they, are, they are the reason I have like, I ended up with 49 games on my Wii U library, not counting demos. That's, I don't even know how so many So with I demos, have. it's like 50 something, but, or 60 something. You definitely have more than me. I think so I have maybe four, have 20. So you have 49 full games on my Switch. Yeah. After, on year, after one year. Can't, yeah. can't wait to get up to uh, basically 100. By next, yeah, and ninety eight. And I was looking next, at like uh, I only have like twenty something physical Wii U games, and I know I had like maybe fifty something eShop games. So I'm, there's easily going to be more games on my Switch by the end of its second year than the Wii U's entire lifespan. Which you know fits well. Some with of them the being double did games, yeah, which yeah, is, Mario Kart and whatnot. Yeah, but I mean, Nintendo's back. Nintendo's back. They really rebounded. Like. Good on Nintendo. Good on the Switch. Like, what an awesome year it's been for gaming in general. Like, as a Nintendo fan, yeah. it's been very hard to run the show because there's way more games to talk about. It's like, whoa, what news is there? It's like that meme of the guy holding all the oranges and they're like falling out of his hand. He's like, I don't know what to do. It's that, but a podcast. Yeah. So we do what we can, and of course we talk about what we've been playing, which you know is kind of just what we're playing. It's not really. It doesn't matter how many games are out. It's what we're playing. So in this case, we got three in this episode. Um, you've been playing the first two and I'll wrap up with part time yeah, so the first one Skyforce Reloaded which we were lucky enough to get a review code for mm-hmm. is a game that it's a it's a shoot 'em up game like a top down airplane kind of game Shump. Yeah, and typically um, I mean I like these kinds of games but for some reason like I just never typically buy them like I just I'll play them at arcades I'll play them when I go to like anime or conventions like that where they just happen to be there mm-hmm. but typically like I don't know I guess because you're just kind of shooting and there's like no and in fact, I just typically give whatever more. I don't know. I just feel like, like I don't know, like they're kind of one and done. Sure. But this one, um, I guess I'm kind of glad we ended up getting the review code for it because it ended up not really being like that. It was a lot different than I expected. So essentially, um, it, this game kind of has a kind of reminds me of, of a lot of mobile games where like you kind of start really weak and you like progress a little bit and then you just. I don't know, I guess power up yourself, get stronger, progress a little bit more, power up and get stronger, progress a little uh-huh. bit more. But if you're actually really good at avoiding stuff, then you could potentially get even further in the game without having to improve yourself a lot. Hmm. But essentially, as you progress through these top-down shooting sections of the game, um, opponents you destroy release little stars. You use stars to upgrade your cannons, your health, to buy more weapons, to buy more upgrades to give you those shields, bombs, what have you. And what else oh and on top of that you also have these objectives there are people that you can rescue there are um there are objectives like don't get hit um destroy 75 percent of all enemies or destroy 100 percent of all enemies and these give you medals and these medals are used to unlock 
on top of beating a level to unlock the next level, you also at some point have to get, have collected enough medals to unlock the next level. So there's two layers. So you can't just essentially fly through the game. You can't just like dodge everything and kill the boss at the end of each level. You actually have to destroy everything and try to collect as many points as you can, pretty much forcing you to be the best plane you can be because right. there are some planes that take more bullets to kill and if you're spending so much time killing one plane, then the other plane is going to leave off screen, which not only ruins your point score, but it also makes it impossible to get that medal for killing 100% of all the enemies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that feedback loop just ends up feeling really satisfying. I, I've, I've always enjoyed games that have a feedback loop where you're just like slowly but surely like increasing the power of your vehicle or your weapons and over time like you just become like this like giant like machine of pure destruction. Right, right. And there's also like online tournaments on it which are pretty cool which are just like um, like monthly. They're set on a timer and you have to like achieve certain conditions with set certain set number of lives. And I don't know. Visually, it's just also just really nice. The only part that I thought was just kind of funny, just kind of weird, was the dialogue. Like the dialogue and the, like the designs of the characters, I guess, were just um, different than what I would expect it with what the regular look of the game is. Because as you know, like the game is a uh, like three D. Pretty. Yeah, it's like a CG rendered, like kind of like pseudo realistic looking vehicles, and the car- and the characters that they do show, they've only really shown like two. It's like this um, woman, she's like your commander or officer, and then there's this other woman, like the Baron. And they both look um very stylized, very cartoony, with like giant heads. Like they kind of clash with, I guess, the way the rest of the game looks. But, right. you know, it's like very cheesy, it's very over the top. But, I don't know, the game itself is just really fun. And best of all, what I think is, is that it's multiplayer. It's like drop in, drop out, other person can join in and like help you out. Or you could just compete for the higher score. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's full co-op, the whole game, right? Yeah, full yeah. co-op, and yeah, I just feel kind of bad that I probably would have ended up ignoring this game just because of my typical pretense. Like, like, uh, I don't really have time to play a game right. like this, but I actually ended up liking it. Like, right, yeah, right. No. It, yeah, it's. I feel like there's a lot of that on the eShop. I mean, you know, the games we just rattle off about, like, we should keep well, an eye the on these. Because there's it's, too many, there's too many, many games. Like, honestly, like this game, literally, I mean, and a bunch of others, I'm, not, I'm sure of. Like kind of fall victim to the the too many games coming out. I'm just gonna keep track of the few that I've heard of that sounded interesting to me. Yeah. Instead of like the bajillion that I'm just kind of scrolling through the eShop and just going like, all right, it's just another shoot 'em up. It's just another blah blah blah. Like, oh, this looks different. Yeah. It's pretty much the game that just look completely different. And on a surface level, this game just looks like another top down shoot 'em up. But ends up being surprisingly good. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it, it's been out for like a month and there's not a lot of talk around it or buzz around it. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, presentation's nice. Like, everything is just nice and clean. It's I mean, only like it, 10 bucks, you know which is, by eShop standards these days, 10 bucks yeah, is a pretty it, it, decent price. Yeah, it's just a pause. Although, is it, is it, is there, is it, like, lengthwise, $10 worth? Like, oh, yeah, you know I mean? definitely. Like, because, I mean, I, I mean, what's kind of cool is that I thought, um, initially I thought, all right, I'm just gonna, like, become super overpowered and just, like, plow through these levels. Uh-huh. But after, after beating, like, enough levels, you unlock harder modes and you, of each level, and you unlock even harder, the equivalent medals that you had to get now you have to get them in the harder mode mm-hmm. so now there are like vehicles and enemies that that deal more damage that are, take even more to kill so now you're like oh okay it's, right. it's gonna take even longer to really beat this game and I mean if it wasn't fun you probably wouldn't like a, you wouldn't you, get that far yeah, yeah. well you wouldn't even bother with those challenges but because the game is fun I do want to beat those harder challenges right 
Because I want my plane to become like overpowered effect. So you want it to be reload? No, that doesn't work. I was gonna make a pun about its name, but reloaded doesn't really make sense. A force to be reckoned with. I don't know. Sky a sky force. force to be reckoned with. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> well, yeah. I might actually because I I can I do like games like this, but I usually yeah I also usually don't play them. But this sounds like yeah, one just anything multiplayer too, like couch co-op games are oh, really yeah, fun. Yeah. So. I assume it's like one joy comp per person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's a two-button game, basically. What a, what a perfect game for the Switch in many ways, because I'm sure it's pretty pick-up-and-play in that regard. Yep, yep. So that's Skyforce. Skyforce. Um, yeah. You were playing something else, too. Yeah, Zero Drifter. Right. We did not get a review code for it, but I did not. <laughs> we're going to hold it against it. It <laughs> sucks, no. I know. But um, I don't know, that, that's kind of the thing, too, about um this game. I feel like if it wasn't for the fact that it was made by Jules Watson's company, Atui, yeah. um, I probably would skip over it, too. But just because like it just looks like like oh it just looks like another like artsy artsy in the sense that it's an eight bit game like another retro looking Castlevania Metroidvania mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. and this one is more Metroidvania than any other Metroidvania game because it's literally like it's as Metroid inspired as it can get because your question is a Metroidvania game is Metroid a Metroidvania game is this more Metroid than Metroid? Um, it's funny because I feel like Metroid One kind of wasn't. I don't know, I feel like Metroidvania started thinking more, like, after it Super did, Metroid. Yeah. yeah. It, was when, it was when Symphony of the Night happened. Yeah. Because then, yeah, then both games started really being like each other. Mm-hmm. But this game, um, it's like if someone remade the original Metroid on NES, but redid it so that modern audiences can enjoy it. Because I've tried playing the original Metroid from NES multiple times in the last decade, and I can never get through it because I either get bored or it's just overall not really fun to play mm, i don't yeah. know I don't not know. the same way I also kid icarus i'm I mean, sorry anyone listening also i mean that kind of goes for a lot of nes games like they just don't age well yeah. um like the legend Without of zelda the nostalgia it loses but, they hold up as historical works but without the nostalgia connection i feel like if you came in later you're kind of like, yeah the only one is like super mario brothers and yeah and, that one that one holds up and i guess duck hunt but you know mm, i don't know about duck hunt that's what I said, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because it's fun for, like, a few minutes after, like, you shoot it for the first few times. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, all right, I guess that's it. It's like, well, shot some ducks, hunted some ducks. Yeah, but the Odisha originally came out on the 3DS, and I just missed it the first time just because, you know, just bad timing with releases. I was playing other things. And I'm like, all right, I'll get it eventually. But because, I mean, I liked Mutant Muds from, from Jewels and Mutant Muds Lugs and Mutant Muds Super Challenge, mm-hmm. I had no reason not to get this one now that it's on the Switch. And, oh, it's hard. It's definitely doesn't pony punches like and you pretty much play as a little as an explorer the zeo drifter and you get to pick which planet you start and you start floating in space between four planets and you pick the one you want to go to you just explore and it's literally those kind of games where you just run around and do everything you possibly can until you come into a dead end and you're like all right i can't do anything here so i have to go back and figure out which planet i have to get my i guess upgrade in but there are maps on the bottom that let you see pretty much, all right, their upgrade is in this area, but I can't reach it, so I have to go to the next planet. And when you do get the upgrade, which come in pretty quickly, like they, I mean, at first I, I just for whatever, just the luck of the draw, mm-hmm. I just happened to pick the two planets where I couldn't really do much in. And yeah, like I kind of like stayed there for a while, like, all right, maybe I'm missing something. So yeah. I'm all like, all right, like I'm, I was kind of getting frustrated, but then I eventually just went to the planet that I you were supposed to start in 
which they basically hover you over, but I did decide not to go there. And you get your ability to... Wait, it held your hand like this? You might want to go over here, and you're like, well, I mean, I'm good. It doesn't straight up tell you. It's just like, by yeah. default, like your little spaceship kind of starts hovering over uh, a planet, okay. but it lets you move around. So I'm all like, all right, I mean, if I could go anywhere, so I'm going to go anywhere. Huh. Or it doesn't say I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, once you get your power-ups, you, like, get the ability to, like, go underwater. So then you're like, oh, okay, now I, there's that other planet that I was at that had a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And then you see that there's a foreground in the background, which is where the 3D took effect, that you could phase between the background and the foreground, which is a really neat effect that just happens instantaneously. And you could do it, like, while mid-jump, and it actually keeps your momentum while you're going up and phasing in and out from mm-hmm. the foreground and the background. Little mutant muds in there, yeah. Foreground, background, yeah. Except instead of doing it on pre-designated platforms, you could do it anywhere, right? And the cool thing is that they incorporate into a lot of like fast platforming, where you eventually you get like a super dash, and you get to phase during the background and the foreground while you're Uh dashing fast, dodging obstacles because you're running on top of lava. Because if you stop running, you'll get hit, and then you have to fly up super high while doing all of that at the same time, and. Every time you get an upgrade, you fight, like, a boss, and the boss does return over and over and over again, but every single time, it kind of just throws in new moves, new twists, and, yeah, it gets, yeah, it definitely gets harder and harder. Like, I thought, like, all right, I'm going to beat this boss, like, the first chance every time, but, no, there's a move that it does that you definitely have to, yeah, just do it, play it over and over again until you get, like, all his panners down. Mm -hmm. But I think my favorite part about the game is that it lets you basically fully customize your gun like hidden throughout the overworld uh, I mean hidden throughout the maps of every planet you get little gun you get up with your gun you get plus one bullets they call it plus one gun and each bullet pellet or you get like a uh, I don't even know how to describe it because there's like no real term for it each plus one gun orb gives (laughs) you a gun orb I'm gonna call them orbs you have a you have a reservoir of orbs that you collect and each orb you can attach to different meters in a in a separate menu that lets you control the speed of the bullet, the size of the bullet, the waviness of the bullet, the spread of the bullet. And if I attach, like, say, two orbs, because the, let's say I've collected five orbs, I could attach three on speed and two on size, and I'll get a slightly bigger orb that shoots faster. Uh, or if I attach two on like wavy a DIY Metroid upgrade system. Basically, yes. Yeah, so I could so if I collect the maximum number, I could attach like three on wavy, four on fast, two on this, like that. Just to fully customize your own bullet. Or you have you could save up to three loadouts so that you could switch between three different gun types that you have customized yourself for different situations. Maybe you have a gun that you like to use just on bosses or one for just general exploration. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was pretty cool and it does kinda of remind me of um like Super Metroid kinda no, it wasn't Super Metroid. Yeah, Super Metroid kind of dulled into that, or you like can turn on on and off your ice, your ice, oh, yeah, your yeah. ice beam, or your um, <coughs> yeah. your wave, your wave gun, your wave beam. But I don't. know. I mean, it's a simplistic game. It's NES inspired, and it definitely shows it. But it's like NES inspired with modern execution, and only yeah. ten dollars. And only ten dollars. Yeah. If you guys want to really support a Tui. Mutant Muds collection is also on sale for seven fifty right now. Till uh, I know that's cheaper March than when I got it. That was the introductory price. That's the price of original Mutant Muds by itself. That's less than the price of Mutant Muds when it first came out by itself on 3ds. Yeah. That was eight dollars. This you're is seven fifty, and you get two Mutant Muds and and uh, the puzzle game. Yeah, but but yeah, no Zeo Drifter. Um, oh yeah, I, it's actually because you, you were saying it's like oh, it's kind of like old NES game, but with modern sensibilities. And that DIY upgrade system sounds like, for lack of a better term, 
sounds more advanced than what Metroid's ever even done, kind of. I mean, not advanced, like difficult, just like there's more to it, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, like a Metroid game has never really done anything like that. They either yeah. eventually just replace your weapon completely or you just switch in between missiles and beams, which I feel like at this point, like going back to another episode where you asked like, what Metroid has to do, Metroid Prime 4, I feel Last like. Last episode, yeah, we were talking about I feel that. like they, like after playing this game, it kind of made me go like, huh, I kind of wish Metroid Prime 4 incorporated some sort of fully customizable gun. That'd be cool. Or something like that. That'd something actually be really it. cool. Yeah, because, I mean, they've kind of dabbled in there where we had, like, the... Well, I mean, where Metroid Prime 3, they kept stacking on top of the other abilities, so you just had one gun that did everything. Right. Which is cool, but it'd be cool, like, if you have... Like, I mean, you were able to switch between four guns in Metroid Prime 1 and 2. Like, you're up on the D-pad, left, right, and down, because it was either your Echo Beam, your Dark Beam, or your mm-hmm. Normal Beam, or your Light Beam. Like, I don't know, just make those your pre your loadouts for whatever customizable ones you picked or whatever. I don't know. It's a neat idea. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like, like I didn't know Zero Drifter did anything like that. Like, I thought it was pretty much just an homage to Yeah, I mean, same here. I played it, and, like, yeah. And, and that's what I was saying. Like, I mean, it's a game that I would have looked over if it wasn't for, I guess, the pedigree. It's like, yeah. all right, like, I don't know. That's why I feel like uh, I wish there was just more time in the day for me to look through all these games because I'm sure many. there's good games that I'm looking over that are probably made by good developers, but... Like, this is kind of what I have to go on just to get my gaming fix. Either games I've heard of by word of mouth that catch my interest or games that I know should be good because I know the people make right. good games. Right. So, yeah. Which is why if they add user ratings and let you sort by those, boom, yeah. opportunities. I've definitely picked up games solely based on user ratings. Yeah. So, I mean. Well, you know what's I funny know. is the only reason I'm even about to talk about part-time UFO is because of the pedigree of the developer. Like, if you just drew a game with the robot with a crane on it I'd be like whatever or an alien with a little crane game on it I'd be like whatever but then it was how laboratory I'm like well that's not whatever that's I'm in um, well unless there's anything else you want to say about Zero Drifter I guess no. so so yeah part time UFO um, I sort of already alluded to it but technically yeah it's it's not exactly is it really related to Nintendo I mean it's not on a Nintendo platform it's not by Nintendo but it is by how laboratory who for all intents and purposes uh, is basically a Nintendo second party these days I think the last time how put out their own game was in the early 90s maybe and ever since then they've become you know totally synonymous with kirby with box boy with smash bros early on all you know among other things they're they're basically nintendo even though they're not so to see them now branch out into a mobile gaming world under a sub brand of hal egg is kind of interesting and what's nice is that all the design sensibilities that hal has developed over the years working under nintendo are still there enforced in part-time ufo like it feels like a Nintendo game because it feels like a HAL game because it's HAL. So at its core, part-time UFO is HAL's exact MO. Like they have this knack of taking really simple ideas and building fun and charming games, like gameplay around it kind of. So if you look at like Kirby, you know, he's literally just a circle. But then you introduce the copy mechanic and suddenly things get more interesting. You have a kind of unique platform. Or you take Box Boy, who's literally just a box boy <laughs> and he, and he uh, you know then you then you're like okay well what do you do with this box so maybe you build platforming around geometry puzzles and you have shapes on shapes on shapes and you utilize that idea and suddenly you got a really interesting puzzle platformer so for part-time ufo basically what how did is uh you can kind of trace it back to the core mechanic of like a claw machine or a crane game whatever you want to call it uh and they basically took the idea of moving a claw and then pressing a button to drop it down in hopes that will grab something you need and pull it back up and they put they built like a whole physics based puzzler around it. So the premise and like the overall look and feel of the game is as how as you can get. Like a cheery 
little UFO alien guy. He lands on Earth. He's looking for work. He finds some part-time job listings. Uh, he's tasked with doing things like loading fruit into a cart or like building an ancient Greek structure or fishing or uh, reassembling a broken totem pole. And then he sets out to do all that using his claw. So by default, you're actually holding your phone in like a two-handed setup, kind of like you know, like you, you kind of rest between hands like with your two thumbs. It kind of looks like either like, well, I text with one hand, but that's just me. Yeah, either like you're texting with two hands or like you're holding a Game Boy. I like to think it's like you're holding a Game Boy, a nice little nod. But you know, like, do you text like this? When I have to text really fast. Oh, I always just use. Oh yeah, I guess I do too. But anyway, so it's a two-handed setup by default. On the left, you got the virtual analog stick. Um, on the right, you have a one big like lower open claw button, and then you just kind of grab whatever is required to complete the job. You place it where it needs to be placed. Uh, if you prefer, there is a one-handed control method where you just swipe and tap to, to do things. But kind of, like I said, I kind of like the the throwback vibe of the um, two-handed controls. But either way, controls sim- are simple. They work. They do what they need to do. Where things get tricky is that because it's a physics-based puzzler, there are physics at play, obviously, namely when it comes to inertia. So if you fly full speed to plop a totem pole item on top of another totem pole item, I don't know. What are the parts of a totem pole called? The totems? Totems? Oh, I guess when you put a totem on a totem... Uh, if you do it too fast, it's going to swing really wildly. It's not going to land straight. It's going to perhaps ruin your entire progress and knock down the whole totem pole because the inertia of the claw machine claw is swinging it around. So it's often about being meticulous, which gives the game almost like a Jenga vibe, but in reverse. Like you're not removing things from a tower or removing things from a place and hoping that it will stay stable. You're building things and hoping that it will stay stable, and you're building it with a claw machine. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, it makes for an interesting dynamic. And unlike Jenga, there also is a bit of pressure because there's a timer going. So the only way to properly like beat a stage is to complete the main task before time runs out while also being meticulous enough to not knock down your progress as you're going. So it's kind of an interesting combination of factors going on. And on top of that, um, each stage has secondary medals you need to unlock. So when you beat a stage, you're in a medal. And these medals accumulate to unlock more stages, 27 in all, but like with Kirby Blowout Blast or with Box Boy, these secondary medals are actually crucial to getting new stages as well. There are two more per stage. So there's three medals total per stage. You can't just do the main medal to progress. You have to also get some of these secondary ones. It, now that I think about it, it's actually kind of funny that I reference Kirby and Box Boy in this because I think when I first get impressions of Blowout Blast and Box Boy, I was like, it's like a mobile game where you have to do primary and secondary goals. Or like Skyforce. They're or saying kind how of laboratories finally found their true goals. Yeah, they've come full circle, basically. But anyway, yeah, these secondary medals, um, it's often where the game's real challenge lies because you aren't told what you need to do to earn the medals. Instead, you just have this little picture on the screen that gives a hint of what to do. So in a fishing one, you may need to catch, catch uh, five unique different fish. And one where you have to load up a truck with fruit, you need to maybe specifically place fruit in the basket. So you first have to drag the basket over, plop it down, then plop all the fruit correctly into the basket, not into the truck bed, but the basket. Or one of the more elaborate ones is you're building an entire multi-part Greek, like Acropolis-looking structure, complete with a little guy inside. And you need to put the guy inside and build the extra pieces of the structure, and then that's when you earn your medal. There's also one actually where... Or a setting where you need to drag and drop a squad of cheerleaders onto each other in just the right formation. So it's a little quirky and weird. Um, but besides just getting the extra medals to unlock more stages, you also get extra cash if you do it. And the cash matters because, much like in Box Boy, you can deck out your UFO in all sorts of weird different little outfits and silly things. And some of them enhance your abilities and some of them change your abilities. And there's even one that's uh, a nice little reference to QB from uh, Box Boy. Like there's an Easter egg of QB in there. But um, 
it's still just like this other layer on top of things. You have the puzzles, you have the physics, and then you have abilities that you can enhance or change or whatever it may be. Um, and in some cases, like I said, it's just to give the UFO a little more personality. Like not every outfit's going to do something for you. You don't necessarily need every outfit to beat the game. But, you know, it's the same way that putting QB in his little rapper outfit is like little hip-hop outfits kind of adorable. You have this UFO that can get some more personality just by plopping him in whatever outfit. Although he also doesn't really need much personality because this game is just so charming to begin. It's like oozing with charm. I mean, all how games kind of do. But in, in part-time UFO, like the UFO himself is a mashup basically of Kirby and QB in design. And the world around him is really like vibrant – Slightly pixelated. I don't even know how how to describe it. It's like just it, it's very reminiscent, reminiscent art style wise of Drill Dozer by Game Freak back on Game Boy Advance. Like it has kind of the same bright colors and big outlines and that sort of thing. But uh, on top of that, it also has music that does something I think is really cool. We, you and I, I think a lot on the podcast talk about how much we like how Arms has one consistent theme that changes in style and cha- and like remixes itself for each place that you fight in, right? So part-time ufo does that same thing so depending on the setting of where the level is it's the same tune roughly but it's all like customized for each saying so there's one through line of music that is very it's a cool effect but um yeah that i mean that's pretty much that's pretty much all there is like considering how clever the puzzles are how clever really the whole game is how charming it all is uh like i really do recommend checking out part-time ufo it's only four bucks and even though it's not quite a true Nintendo release, like HAL is so intertwined with Nintendo these days that it very much feels like it is. I mean, in a way, I almost wish, I almost wish that this was more the route Nintendo itself went with when doing mobile games. Like, I know it makes zero business sense. There's no, you know, halo effect of putting part-time UFO out and then expecting someone to buy Kirby. But just like weird, experimental, relatively cheap little mobile games are, are I feel like Nintendo could totally knock it out of the park with it. Or at least let HAL do more of these or whatever. I mean, not that they need to let them. They're independent companies. But, you know, stuff like... Basically, what I'm saying is stuff like we see on DSiWare in the early days or on the eShops early days, like, that feels like it'd be great on mobile these days. And part-time UFO is just so reminiscent of it. But, you know, Nintendo's never going to do it themselves, so at least we have HAL doing part-time UFO and stuff like that to basically scratch the itch. So I'll take what I can get in their spare time. Well, it's like a weird sub-brand of HAL. It's HAL Egg, a HAL laboratory company. But then the app is listed by HAL Laboratory, so it's like, I don't know. But nonetheless, it's it's a fun game. It's only four bucks. It's, so a spare it's part of how made a part time UFO game. Yeah, that sums up what I just said exactly. Perfect. Yep. And with that, <laughs> that's the episode. No, but it is a fun game. In all honesty, I recommend checking it out. Um, it's on iOS and Android, and it's one and done purchase. You don't have to. There's no in app purchases or anything. It's just a one time four dollars. So it's pretty cool. But yeah, that um, rest of anything else, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Yeah. We'll be back, everyone, on March 18th with news, impressions, and the you know the, the whole gauntlet of what we do here on the show as we enter year two of the Switch. Um, as always, to make sure you don't miss anything, you can follow us on Twitter at Ramtendo. You can subscribe to us on a bevy of wonderful services, be it uh, TuneIn or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or I, can I draw us out any longer? I don't think so. Um, a bunch. There's a bunch. And uh, if you prefer, you can also just follow us individually on Twitter. It won't help you with the podcast, but just, you know, if you want to really get to know us. I'm JSR7, he's Wero, W-E-I-R-O, underscore O. And, yeah, with that, I guess we wish you and yours a very merry, happy, joyous Mario Day on March 10th. Bye.